Welcome to episode 130 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Radding. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 52 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were confused by Clubhouse Sports, bewildered by Baal, and genuinely hated Hate. This week we conclude our look at the games in August 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, what did we have to look forward to to round out those rosy summer nights? In this fun-packed episode where we set out to prove once and for all that something can indeed look like a yogurt and wobble like a jelly, we enter the multi-dimensional world of cueless ball sports and take our chances on some low-resolution blundering fluke shots in 3D pool, climb into our whitest motocross leathers, slip on our helmets, which sounds more painful than it actually is, and trundle across some muddy courses in the control-impinged Super Scramble Simulator, and time travel back to when biplanes and dreary-coloured Spectrum games were mutually compatible as we dogfight our own sense of horror with Deep Strike. It turns out that some kinds of yoghurt are already like jelly. In fact, it's a confusing world, and we haven't even reached what on earth skier is yet. Anyway, after all that malarkey, we climb in even more biplanes as well as other types and once again take the skies to flit around like wasps in the erratic dogfighting crazy world of Arcade Flight Simulator before finally grabbing our brown fedora, whip, pistol and dynamite and heading into the super daring and tomb-filled world of Rick Dangerous. 20%, what a magic percentage. Does that mean at least 80% of these games are good or bad? Or does it mean 20% are good or bad? Were six out of seven of Snow White's dwarfs unhappy? You'll have to listen to the episode to find out. Wow, some home life, huh? (laughs) 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 Hey, pig. And it goes on like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely needed some uh, injection of science fiction, I feel, for this lot. Yeah, it's just a bit. Well, there is some, I suppose, but... um, Oh, there is some, there is some, yeah. We have, it's only five games again. The games are getting thin on the ground, like my hair, thin, thin on the ground. (laughs) Like the developers of the C64 games that are really good (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Everyone's down in the ocean's dungeon. Shouting like, is anyone here? And it's just Echo. Echo. The room Echo. was full of C64 game developers, <laughs> some of whom were very old. old. <laughs> if you want to support us and support this uh, ongoing quest to play all these games, then you can do that. You can do that financially if you want to go over yes. to patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. You can join us on Discord, get the episodes, all you can get all join the back, back episodes. They're all on there now. That's always good because they weren't always yes, on there. They now you get. Every single episode we've ever released is all on Patreon, and all ad-free, ad free, all ad-free, ad-free. and you get them on the Friday night instead of the Monday morning. So that's cool. When was the last time you tried a nice juicy steak? And things like that, <laughs> they interrupt the flow of the podcast. <laughs> but not if you're on the old Patreon, they don't. 
Absolutely. We could be a lot worse. We could put ads in all kinds of places with those timings. <laughs> yes, we could. We have control. Yes. Control we really shouldn't have, <laughs> if you've ever uh, met us. We're earning pence, literally pence, in the <laughs> revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're putting my cockroach through cockroach college. <laughs> At this rate, we'll be able to afford a whole Mars bar. <laughs> Ooh, steady on. Half each. <laughs> Half each. <laughs> oh, Half a Mars bar is my limit. Um, yeah, so if you want to do that, you can do that. You can spot, you can buy us a Kofi at kofi.com forward slash up to the past, whatever it is. Um, or you can just you know, tweet at us or join in the fun, whatever. It's up to you. There you go. Yeah, so we've got five more games, and that rounds out August. Yeah, there's only four months left of uh, I know. I was thinking about that, actually. I mean, it's a bit crazy. It's gone by quite fast. Yeah, there's but only eight The eight good more games episodes. have gone by even quicker. <laughs> like, <laughs> Blink and you miss them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike the bad games, which have gone. They've, they've kind of jerked. Past <laughs> us. Hey, Ooh, hey, <laughs> they're in, you, hey. They're in the back of Test Drive 2's car. Uh, yeah, there we go. But we'll see. We, we may still have some. I think we've got a couple of good ones coming up for September. But we have. Uh, by the way, this week, it might not have been this week, but I received a copy this week. Of the uh, Family Bitmap Books book from Ants to Zombies. Six decades of video game horror. It's very, very, very good indeed. And I mention it because it's got that, our favourite game in it from the last few weeks. Is in Project there. Project Firestart. Yep. I've seemed to be seeing that everywhere at the moment. <laughs> I know, I saw, I saw Bats, is it Bastitch had yeah. done something with it as well? And... I've never heard of that game before we played it. And suddenly I've seen it everywhere. It's probably because I, I tweeted about it, didn't I? So it's probably just yeah. popping up. But it's like if you go, go looking at cars, you go look at car shopping if you ever do that. And then you Often. think, oh, that's quite a nice red car. And then all you ever see then is the same red car. Every like, why? They, I didn't notice that before. Why are there so many of them? And it's just the thing. It's the way just your brain works. Yeah. Have you um, been tuning into any other podcasts this the past week, by the way? Of course, uh, I know you listen to ours all the time, but other than that. Um, I do your, listen to ours. your podcast playlist? Uh, Kane and Rince. I've been listening to a load of Kane and Rince recently. They, they're good. They're, I've been sort of. Because I've only recently properly discovered them, and I'm sort of, they've got like ten years worth of podcasts. So I'm working my way through the sort of highlights and the games I want to listen to about them. A reason I mention all of this is because I've been listening to um, there was a, I was listening to um, a podcast that I like called Nostalgia Goggles. I definitely recommend you go and check it out. Mm-hmm. It's on all the usual places. But they were having a bit of a debate on that about what people call their TV remotes, and it made me think: What do you call your TV remote? Is it just remote? Do you call it by its, like it's like a name? Oh, Ted, where's Clicky. Ted? Clicky. Clicky the remote. You call us Clicky? No, of course Because ours is normally a zapper. Ours is a remote, usually, but it's, it could be a zapper, a doobry, and the doobry will pass me the, pass me the doodah. <laughs> on the left-hand um, side. On the zapper. <laughs> Sometimes it's the zapper, yeah. Pass me the do, doodah on the left-hand side. <laughs> sure, there's a song in there. And then um, also, but then it was, what do you call game controllers? Because the big debate from them was that some people called the TV remote their controller. And I'm like, no, that's crossing the streams. I don't cross that stream. The game no. controller is a controller. So, I don't know. Me. Yeah, I, I call the game controller a controller and a remote a remote. I am full of imagination. So when you <laughs> when you comes to the Nite- when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, this is all new territory for me because I'm a recent purchaser of a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Do you call it a controller on that, or do you call it the Joy-Con? It's the Joy-Con. You've never called anything else a Joy-Con. No, why I is it that? Because nothing's ever been called a Joy-Con before. That's its name. I call it by its name. Then every controller you have as a game controller is a Joy-Con. Well, it depends how you use them. But um... exactly, that's my point. <laughs> that's my point. Are they not all Joy Cons? 
Um, it depends. If it's those two things specifically, yeah, I do refer to them as the Joy-Con, but if it's the Pro Controller or another third-party controller, I'll say the controller. But those two things, I do call the Joy-Cons. Okay, Joy-Con it is. Okay, fair enough. Just wondered what you might call them. Because then people don't get confused. I'm like, where's the where's the controller? And they go, it's here. Oh, not that one, the split one, you know, the red and blue one, the one that's not, the Joy-Con. Does it a known term in your house, the Joy-Con? Would, would, would your partner know what you meant if you said, pass me the Joy-Con on the left-hand side? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, probably not. Um, probably not. But um, usually and- I'm talking to myself. Go, where's the bloody Joy-Con? Well, I and suppose you would know what that the, meant. I mean, that's onto fair. The switch. That's Absolutely. Fair. So, yeah. I didn't know they were called Joy-Cons, and I'm not very comfortable with it. <laughs> It's not sitting. It's not sitting okay. right with me. I can't figure it out. If you want the weirdness, if you want the middle ground between the controller and the remote, then we had that two generations back with the Wiimote. Yes, a Wiimote. I was trying to think what that was called. It wasn't called the pointy stick, as I imagined. <laughs> no, it was the Wiimote. <laughs> the Wiimote. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I just wondered what you call them. So it's a Wiimote. Yeah, they have to do that, don't they? Be different. I yeah, just call yeah. it the old, the old controller. Pass yeah. me the Xbox controller. What's the mo- what's the most recent Xbox controller called? That Kimori Curiosity. Just, just Is it still controller? Is it not called the Xbox Power Sensor or something? No. They tend to do think, that with them, I don't, think don't they? The only, um, no, I think the only Xbox pad that they've ever had a name for was the Duke. The Duke. <laughs> Duke K number one, the big guy. The big, yeah. That was the very first <laughs> original Xbox controller. That it was came massive, with the original though, Xbox. It? it was massive, and they called it the Duke after John John Wayne, as far as I'm aware. John Wayne, yeah, because he was he was a massive controller. You can buy wireless ones now of them for the Xbox One. Um, oh, the original, they were they big. The original Duke controller back. I mean, the thing is that if you get mad with your controller. You can, you know, you throw it around. You don't want to do it with one of them. You'd probably kill someone. They're dangerous. They're well, well big. You knock your house down. Take a wall out. <laughs> Just need that. Can you move that? Thinking of remodeling that wall over there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's, I think way bigger than I thought. Yeah. Thank you, Duke. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Let's get. Should we get on with some games? Yes. Otherwise, people are going to have turned off by now. Yes. Let's get on with some games. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, because they are games that are worth getting on with. Well, yeah, we're trying to delay the inevitable there, but <laughs> absolutely, we've got to you'll, get thank, with them. you'll thank us for this preamble in about in you about will. an hour's time. You will. It's certainly more interesting <laughs> than the first game. Yeah, right. Let's get into that, shall we? Let's get into that first game. Uh, we saw the crap bit some time back, and that was the that was the big clue. That was the big clue. <laughs> this is three D pool. <laughs> Tumbleweeds come past. Our listeners are like that's your best game. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Three D pool, nine pounds ninety nine. And you Goodness. know that quality might be taking a bit of a hit when the second highest scoring game of the month is seventy four percent, and it's a three D pool yeah. game. So I sorry about could. that. Anyway, this is 3D Pool from Firebird. Like I said, we saw the crap bird for this the other week. The strange floating teenager in the background. Um, yes, now we know why he was there. Distraction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is copyright Micropro software. Weird. Developed Weird. by Aardvark Software and created by Orlando M. Pilchard. <laughs> Orlando Pilchard. Or, as he's otherwise name. known, Nick Pelling. Ah, so pseudonyms. Yeah, who, have, who we've it. seen before on Bangkok Nights, Firetrack, and Frack. Yeah, yeah, he's a good good programmer guy, but why Why did he change his name? I, uh, don't, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. Fair enough. Anyway, this is certainly not the first pool game we've seen of the C64. We've had no. to endure the dubious delights of snooker and pool about four times. Uh, <laughs> the game that would it's like a it's like something wouldn't flush. It just it won't go. <laughs> it won't go. Yeah, it won't. Um, not so long back, we had Rackham from Accolade, um, yeah, and, and even last week we had Crazy Pool in Clubhouse Crazy Games. Pool. <laughs> crazy pool uh, but this is the first time that someone has tried to give us a game of pool in full on 3d wow 
The best no, D. Best D. After a particularly dull loading screen, we are instantly thrown into a tournament starting at the quarterfinals. It's very weird. It just starts you're like, you're in the quarterfinals. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> no pressure. Get on with yeah. it. Learn <laughs> and then, go. Yeah, but then we get the title screen, which seems an odd way to go about this. Uh, everything's odd. <laughs> it's like someone gives you a, a saucer and then a tea, or the tea, then a cup. <laughs> <laughs> Ow! Ah, ah. <laughs> oh, here's your cup. <laughs> I would have liked that first. <laughs> That's the usual way. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got some options to change from joystick to keyboard control, what type of game to play, from the aforementioned tournament, which I really want you to do, to a two-players game, to a demo mode where you can choose the players to watch play, to a practice, Boring. and finally to a trick shot mode where you can also edit the 15 trick shots available and make your own if you so wish. Yeah. The main meat of the game is that tournament mode, and all of the modes are similar, so I'm just going to focus on that. It's pool. It's 3D pool. I mean, what else can you say? You can generate Mm. new pairings for each game before you start, and I'm not going to go through the character people because you you end up playing some guy that I've never heard of, and I don't care. Pressing the space Dodgy Derek and Bendy Ben and (laughs) Freaky freaky McGee and... Flippy Fred and Pokey Pete. Pressing the space on the title screen starts whichever mode you have chosen. The game starts with you standing at the top of the table looking down towards the 15... No, not 15 reds. What am I about? I've gone off snooker. Oh, uh, no, the, you've snookered yourself. Well, it's, uh, it's the 15... Well, they are red, actually. Yeah, it's 15 reds at the bottom because they are red, aren't it's they? It's red and yellow, isn't there? Yeah, well, they're not yellow. They're red and red and black, dithering. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. So, But yeah, the visuals are in medium res. The table is a big rectangle of green with black holes for pockets in the usual six places. It's a pool table. There are no cushions. But they do exist, they're just invisible. Mm. The rest of the world is a black and red lined floor and a black and white wall, with the base of the table being red and green checked, like dithering. It ain't the prettiest use of colours I've ever seen, I have to say. No, no yeah. so somebody needed a you know co- colour theory. Essentially, it's like playing pool in Driller. That's what this God. reminded me of. Sold to the man at the back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the first thing you need to do is place the cue ball in the shaded D area. You do this by holding down the fire button and then moving the cue ball. Once you are happy with the position, you double tap the joystick and start the game. Controls are simple enough. Instead of the usual line of aiming, the line of aiming curse you normally get in these games, so you get a line used to come out from the from the cue ball. You rotate the world around the cue ball, and the direction you are facing is where you hit it. It's three D, you know, it's that. So you just aim where it you're is. looking, basically. Left and right, rotate the view horizontally, and up and down, do it vertically. At the top of the screen is the name of the person playing, a white ball with a cross on it, and a power bar. The cross is for spin, and you alter this in two ways: moving the view up puts puts backspin on the ball, and moving the view down puts topspin on it. I don't like this control method. Holding no. down the holding down the fire and moving the joystick left or right puts left or right spin on the ball, whilst up and down with the fire button held, the held down increases or decreases the power bar. Once you've lined up your shot, happy with your spin and happy with your power, you just double tap to fire to take it, and that's it, really. And this is where the problems start, really. So we've got a full 3D view of the table that we can rotate around, which is nice, I guess. The issue mainly comes with the low resolution of the C64 and trying to finally aim anything in a 3D space over distance just doesn't work. It just does not work. Time and time again, I would aim my shot and I found the best way to do it was from the top-down view as that seemed to get the best view of the table before lowering the view to avoid the tremendous amount of backspin (laughs) you can generate. I I, I I took a shot, I put so much backspin in it, it moved forward about two inches and span backwards. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's that's, that's loads of backspin. It's ridiculous. Went through time. Yeah. So I was quite sure I was aiming at the red. It looked like that. I tapped the fire button twice and I watched my ball veer off, either not hit where I was aiming, hit another ball on the way, which I was sure I was in no way going to it, or just missed my ball completely. 
that I was aiming at. It's just, it just you can't do it. The, the resolution's not fine enough. So this is a rather large problem for a pool game where you cannot be certain of just where you're aiming, as it makes the game far too random to be very enjoyable. There are other issues too. I don't like that back and top spin are linked to your view. It seems an odd choice. Stupid, really yeah. stupid. Yeah, and and it could because yeah, and a symptom of trying to make it is that everything is accessible before you double tap to take the shot. So I get what they were going for, but I don't think it worked. And I much preferred a sort of system where you know normal. Do your aim, tap fire. Do your spin, yeah. tap fire. Do your power, Makes tap sense. fire. Done. It works. There's a reason why that works. Yep. The issue here is that as you move the view, the balls tend to wobble <laughs> and move position, um, and can <laughs> sometimes be look like they're even floating in the pockets. Crazy. Yeah, it ain't good. No. So you're never really sure where they are. And this is true for both vertical and horizontal movement around the table. The C64 simply does not have a high enough resolution to pull this off convincingly or reliably to ensure that you can play a decent game of pool. Another thing is that the computer player can take ages to take their shot. So you can find oh yourself looking at the screen and the message, hmm, hmm, <laughs> hmm, so stupid, at the top for quite some time. Just sat there waiting. Alongside that point, when the computer is taking the shot, you can now no longer move the view. So you can end up with a bit where you're sort of, you're, the white ball's at one end, you're aiming sort of laterally across the table, not, not down it, but sort of across it. You take a shot, your ball ends up there. You can only see half the table because of the 3D view. And then you're stuck. Yep. The, the computer player takes a shot off the screen. You have no idea what's going on. Yep. None. It's a bit stupid. At one point, I had a black ball game and I missed, and the black ball rolled out of view. And just, I had no idea once they took the shot what was going on with the black ball. I had no idea. We could, they could have potted it. They could have not. I have no idea. Any game, I don't know why the view doesn't move to where the computer is aiming. Would have seemed a sensible thing. Because it might have then given you a sort of idea of like, oh, that's how I need to aim it. No. Yeah. <sighs> All told... I guess it's an admirable attempt to take the pool sim into 3D, but unfortunately, as we've said with a lot of 3D games in the C64, it's low resolution and it's not great handling the 3D at the best time, simply is not up to the job. And we'll really have to wait for the 16-bit machines where this becomes a far more viable proposition. And I don't know what this is like on the 16-bit, but I'm thinking of Jimmy White um, at the Archie mm. McLean one, you know, which came along and went, this is how you do 3D <laughs> snooker and pool. It did. He came along and went, this is how you do fighting games. <laughs> this is how you do pool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually McLean just knows what he's doing. So I guess fair play for trying this. It's a bit slow and jerky. And it's just it's just a symptom of the C64. And it, it was a, on a hiding to nothing list, really, because you can't zoom in far enough either. You can zoom out quite no. far, but you can't zoom in far enough so to, stupid. to get enough of a view. So unfortunately, this one, you've just it's just it's missed and gone in off. And it, yep. you're not getting that white ball back. So I, yep. I wouldn't you've wasted your 20p down the pub. Or your 50p now, whatever it is, or your quid. Pound. Pound now, isn't it? Yeah, pound. God, inflation, man. So no, I didn't like this. Slow, boring, and uncontrollable, and you can't aim where you need to aim. Not a good way for a pool game to be reviewed. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> anyway, there you go. What did you think? Well, it was hardly uh, stunningly realistic, true-to-life 3D pool simulation, was it? Which is what it said it was. Bloody liars. you liars. Your bums are on fire, you're lying that much. Who'd want to pay... £10 buys you a lot of actual pool games for real. 10 games? Which is... I can tell you, the best 3D pool you're going to get, that is a stunningly realistic, true-to-life 3D pool simulation. <laughs> Go and play it for real in a pub. It's way better. Or in a club. A clever notion hampered by poor visuals and the weird way it limits the viewport of the player in every way that it can. It fights you, this game. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like some, it's like playing against the player and this, the computer player is actually hitting you on the head with a large wooden implement every time you move. Because it's just, <laughs> you can't move with finesse, so it just judders and jerks around. It's no fun, that. 
I get the idea of it. Like you said, exactly. You know, there's mileage for, mileage in this kind of thing. Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker on the Amiga proved it, hands down. So we know that the notion of the 3D view of pool and snooker works if it's done oh, it correctly. Yeah. Not here, though. No, it's missing key things. The ability to aim the ball with a cue. A cue <laughs> would have been useful, wouldn't it? So you can actually sort of see. Yeah. What, you're, what you're doing yeah, that would have given you the sense of direction that you were hitting the ball when you've got a giant pointy stick that points in the direction that you're hitting the ball that's a bit of a giveaway really what that's for mm-hmm. the pool table is kind of necessarily reduced to its bare essentials of of the table so it's kind of a just a green block with corner shaped blocks that sort of are holes i guess yeah and when you move around like i said it sort of jerks and judders and stammers around the resolution's also working against it so it's just a a blocky mass of weirdness that there's no way you're going to ever be able to hit this with any kind of you know fidelity. It's just, it's how I actually play pool. I just hit the ball and hope that something goes in. And that's pretty much what I was doing here. So it's devoid of atmosphere as well because it's jerky. And so it's like Driller without the music. If you take the music off Driller and just have it in silence, it's like, it's pretty boring. <laughs> yep. So it's not a very, however great and clever the 3D coding is, and maybe it is really clever the way they're doing it. I don't doubt that. There's probably some really cleverness in there. But it's not clever to make a crap game. Clever is to make a clever game with 3D. You've made a really bad one. And the game with very simple rules. Hit the balls, put them in the holes, job done. So now, and then the sound effects, well, what were they now? Um, plus, like you said, that CPU player. I mean, come mm. on, what is he, Bobby McSlow? Mm. Play the bloody game. Yeah, it's like, mm. Mm, that's quite difficult, that. It's not, though, is it? I did it in seconds. Well, not seconds, minutes, when I was juddering around. <laughs> and also, I noticed that when they do finally take the shot, they very rarely miss. So, you know, what they, whatever they're aiming to do, anyway. I didn't try any of the other variants, the trick shots. What's the point? What's the point in doing a trick shot on a game where you can't actually play the actual game? Well, so a trick aim. shot's pointless. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. You can't aim with anything in this. This should have stayed on the Amiga or the other versions. The, the 16-bit versions of this aren't very good either, I have to say. They're quite blocky. Not blocky, uh-huh. sorry. They're quite jerky. So it's not great. On, it's not great on any platform. And by the way, if you really want the uh, real horror experience, go look at the Spectrum version and then you'll never be the same again, but you know, <laughs> do that. Um, it's, it's, you can play any version of Pull You Like as long as everything's green. Anyway, it ain't good. I'm all the versions looking. I checked were all slow. It ain't good. So so you won't enjoy the Spectrum or the Amstrad version of that, nor would you enjoy the 64 version. So no, it's, it's just 10 pounds is a lot of money. Go and play real pool. It's much better. You can use actual, you know, pokey sticks and everything. Way better. I didn't enjoy it. Why would I enjoy it? So rubbish. No, that Spectrum version is too green. I'm not going to say it's rubbish. What I'm going to say is this is a, 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 but it's just not something the 64 is going to ever be able to do very well anyway. And it's not a very good version of that, so it's just not. It's not. It's not any fun for ten pounds. No. 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 Move on. <laughs> move along. That's the frame. Frame done. Frame done. Let's move yeah, along and see see done. if anything better comes along with our next game. And Graham, that's over to you to tell us all about SSS Super Scramble <laughs> Simulator. Super Scramble. Wow. It's the simulator of all simulators. £9.99. What's going on? It's got simulator in the title. A, A, 38%. What? What's going on? <laughs> this is Sean Southern coding. He's a good coder. Graphics are Andrew Morris. He's a good graphics. Sean Southern did the music. What's going on? Ah, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's published by Bloody Gremlin Graphics. That's why it's £10. And that's why it's crap. Anyway. <laughs> So I'll go through a little bit of the blurb. Yeah, the scenario for this, take on the ultimate challenge of motorbike scrambling. Um, no, I was used to quite like watching the old scrambling motorbikes on things like Kickstart, the TV show, and let's not be you know beat around the bush. This is better res Kickstart, but not as good as Kickstart, but we'll come mm-hmm. to that. Um, anyway, the real-life simulator, the real-life simulator, okay, takes you over 15 grueling terrains featuring 
one to two gradient hills, which seems oddly specific. We're going to go into hill gradients. Okay. All right. I think think people, you know, your average kid's not going to go one to two gradient. I was expecting more of a one to seven. <laughs> Does it matter? Let's just put hills, damn it. You don't need to put the bloody ratio in there. Streams, water obstacles, logs, cars, and lorries. Control your accelerating, braking, and gear changing. Avoid stalling it as you race against the clock. A real must for all budding Motor X enthusiasts. I'm just going to say this right now. A real must for budding Motor X enthusiasts, or cross motocross enthusiasts, sorry, is to actually go and do motocross. Go and do it. Don't do this. Never do this. The game has 15 courses divided into five sets of three. That's the closest you're ever going to get to them, me saying it, but that's where they are. There are three (laughs) sets of mud courses and two sets of concrete courses. Within a set, the courses can be played in any order, but the whole set must be completed before progressing to the next set. Failure to complete the course within the time limit ends the game. Each course must be completed in the fastest possible time for a maximum score. (laughs) Good luck with that. Time Mm -hmm. penalties are incurred for failing, which you will, if you're me, is pretty much how you go by the whole race, to negotiate an obstacle correctly or for straying off the course, crashing or stalling the bike. Bonus points are given at the end of each course for the time remaining. On the first two sets of courses, you get three attempts at each obstacle, after which you are placed further down the course and suffer a large time penalty. On the third and fourth sets, you get four attempts. On the last set, you must try seven times. Are we all clear? Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Yes. So this is, uh, well, it's quite an unusual thing, this, actually really because it's got such an unusual pedigree behind it and it's catastrophically awful so it's on a simulator tip i get it but it's a full price game from gremlin so it's the question really is should this ever have been full price i don't think so why was this not put out on codemasters is it which is sean southern's normal remit is it is that where he normally has his games uh, put out is it or whichever label it is but, normally, just... it? but mastronic have long gone or it's virgin mastronic by this yeah point, so it? i don't quite know how this has come to be this probably some but it's on the Atari ST and stuff, it. so I'm wondering if it's just a downport. Might just be a downport. Anyway, it starts, it's got weird music in this, really. Quite busy. Colourful enough, I suppose, with the title screen. You can select from one to six players. Enter your name, then select a course. You've got A, B, C, off-road, one, two, three, and you've got different times you can change. Two, two, two minutes, two, three minutes, 30, and then two minutes, 20, which seems oddly out of sequence. <laughs> When you start, the game window is actually technically split into three in the actual game itself. The top sort of, I guess, I wouldn't say it was third, but we'll just call it the top third because it's just the way the screen splits. So the top chunk of the screen is your motorbike and your scrambling is where it all occurs. Now, the graphics in that bit are pretty good, actually, for what it is. It's it's like a zoomed-in kickstart, but with better graphics. So the graphics, the the guy looks a bit like uh, Evil Knievel slash Eddie Kid. He's all in white kit out on his sort of tron colored inspired gray bike but it does look the part it looks like a really good quite nicely shaded and well animated motorbike rider the terrain you're riding across scrolls across and that's all bumpy and it's scrambling so it's not like it's a fast race and it's not like an obstacle course in the same sort of vein as kickstart it kind of is like kickstart but it's a bit more you know simulatory a bit more bumpy and stuff gotta really think about the uh, what gear you're in and how fast you're going and whether your wheels up in the air or and things like that so if you're not when you're not controlling that bit the bit under that is actually an overhead view during the game yeah um, where you can sort of see the top down now it kind of breaks your brain a bit because you've got a side view a top view and then you're looking over the handlebars at the bottom now if that is designed to scramble your brains i don't know what is yeah like sanction it is and then the middle section will also change into a messaging system for when you fall off your bike which you'll see a lot if you mean yeah, same here. Underneath that, there is a handlebars of the bike, I want to say. On the left-hand side is your time. On the right-hand side is your score, where your brakes would be. And then then there's your kind of speedometer and your revs counter that exist. And then there's a little series of lights, which I think are where they sort of, you know, 
ready, set, go kind of thing happens. That kind of thing. Might be mm-hmm. power, might be the gear in actually, might be, I don't know. So that's, and the idea is obviously, as I've already said, to, to get through these courses, you know, now that's how you do it. So you've got those main windows. Like I said, the graphics are nice. Oh, looks quite good. At this point, you're thinking, okay, if this is like Kickstart, I could go with it because this is quite nice looking feel. I could get behind it. Then the controls step in and these <laughs> feel like they work against you quite badly. So you accelerate with a push to the right or front wheel down if you're airborne. Left decelerates or lowers your front wheel if you're airborne. Up is left and down is right. Just to make it very clear. <laughs> what? To change gear is up on the joystick with the fire button pressed. Down is dropper gear. Left is lift rear wheel. Right is a wheelie. You got all that? <laughs> It sounds like Monty Burns doing the, uh, if I tap my head, not once, not twice, but thrice. Is that, <laughs> you can do those it. are the up actual down controls. Down is left. Left is down. So, so, so up is left, right is speed up, fire and up and down is change gear, essentially. But they also have other things they do, yeah. which just confused the hell out of me. Now, so the net result of all of this confusion was really, for me, it was just a kind of a fall off the bike simulator. So, <laughs> so this, is, this is my progress in the game. Too fast, fell off. Too fast, fell off. Six point penalty, six second penalty for all these. Bzz, too slow, you stole the bike. Bzz, too slow, you stole the bike. I was like, all right. Bzz, too fast, you fell off. Wheel front wheel too high. Back wheel too low. Too fast. Too slow. And and I ran out of time because I'd actually penalted myself out of the competition. I could not get this game to to. I could not get the motorbike to run for any longer than a, maybe a second before it just, something something catastrophic happened. And when it stops the game, it stops in its tracks. You get put back on the track and everything else, and you get put further down. It didn't help me. I could not get to grips with these controls. I felt like I did when we were doing that um, game where we were punching those things with the stick. You remember when you had to turn the control around? Um, the recent one that played the Grand Monster Slam game. Oh. When you had to kick the, when you had to smack those bellons with the stick. And then in order to go left and right, you had to rotate the joystick around. And just faffy, needless controls. Why in this game is it not just right to speed up, left to slow down? up to go up why does it have this weird control now I get it it's because they're trying to make it more simulatory but that doesn't make it more simulating of a motorbike nope because motorbikes aren't controlled in that way yeah i get that there's gears and that's just that is you know a fire button press or something like that but i can't help but think knowing that we've recently played citadel and that game had really clever controls on one joystick that this is something of a of a controlling catastrophe and what surprised me most of all is who did it because sean southern is a very competent very clever coder we've seen that many times in many of his games i mean they're, they're genuinely brilliant this feels like a real step back this feels like a found in the cupboard this didn't have the polish i mean graphically and, and in, in code wise i suppose what you can say is it was all very slick but those controls are ter- a terrible thing and i could not get to grips with them and i would rather all said and done play kickstart or kickstart 2 both yeah. of which i could control and both of which i enjoyed more than this and both of which are cheaper yeah so it's a pity that this isn't really a better graphic version of kickstart because that would have been actually pretty good if they'd have done that and i could have got behind that but it's not that it's a kind of weird looking feel um it's good to look at horrible to control i don't know nice sprites i say the, all the graphics and all of that they're code based probably good but it controls like a pig and that ain't a good thing. So I don't know. I found this, you know, a game like this that where controls are so stupid and the difficulty is set to f*** you, I can't find my way into it. I just kind of fall off a lot. And in the end, you know, I followed Lord Humongous's advice for once and I <laughs> walked away. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's Trials, isn't it? It's an early version of Trials for the C64, if you remember that, Trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah with terrible controls. Yeah, yeah. it is. Or, well, it's Trials. Or what happens when you try to sim up Kickstart for some reason? I don't yeah, understand. Why, do why would you do that? I don't, I don't I can I can see what this is going for, and you know, way down the line, Trials is going to make this hugely popular. But 
the humble joystick is just not cut out for the level of control this is asking of you. It's ridiculous. I got no problem with the way it looks or anything. It's a bit brown, <laughs> um, all told. But I suppose it's mud that it's going to be. The music and sounds, they're not that great though. But I feel it just tries to do too much, like you said. And it's just, it's too unwieldy to control. It's just all over the place. They've got no indication of speed that I'm aware of. There's, there's some dials down the bottom that might be doing some stuff, but it's, who knows? I'm not sure why you need to be flipping up and down gears, trying to stay on the course with a top-down view as well. Because that's the other thing, isn't it? When you're driving along, you've yeah, got to be yeah, moving yeah. up and down while speeding up left and right, and then moving your gears up and down. It's like, I don't get ah, it. it's too much. It's too much. Yep. It gets too much. Frustration sets in. You got too many things to remember how to access on the joystick, along with look yeah. at the main screen and the top-down view, and keep an eye on your speed. You've got yeah. about four eyes, and you need an extra joystick. There's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason why Trials comes along on an Xbox 360 pad, two joysticks, you know, numerous yeah. buttons, yeah, you know, yeah. two triggers, you know, triggers always because that's what this game requires. That's yeah, what they're asking does, of you. Yeah. They're trying to manually put it into eight directions and one fire button. It's like, yep. don't don't work. Can't do it. Nope. So it's an interesting attempt, I get, I guess, and one down way down the line it will reap rewards. But but for what this is and what you can control it with, it needed a much less convoluted control system to work properly. And because it hasn't got that, it's ultimately almost barely playable. Yeah, it's barely playable. This I found. I'm, I'm not. I, did I finish a course? I might have finished. I might have finished the very 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 first one. Couldn't um, get anywhere. But um, get but anywhere. as soon as as soon as it, I think there was this, on the second one. There's tires you have to jump onto, and it was just like there, there. Yeah, blah. it's never going to happen to me. That. <laughs> it's like, what, what's happen. going on? I can control kickstart, and like you said, kickstart two pisses on this. I'd rather play that. Great height. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It and it's two player. Yeah, I mean, it's split. six player, but it's not. Is it split screen? I didn't try it actually. I meant but to try this, it. I don't think it's split screen. No, because you yeah, do. No, so, so it's one at a time. It's trials, isn't it? So you just do one at a time. How boring would that be? Waiting your turn for that? Yeah, for hours. If it was me, you'd be like, oh, I forgot to get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. So another another sports game comes along and is not suited to the machine. That's two for two. Mm-hmm. Two for two. At the start of this one. Let's see what our next game brings along. If it's three for three, or hopefully it might be some good. <laughs> this is Deep Strike. <laughs> <laughs> this is Deep Strike and it's £1.99. Well, it got 61% once mm-hmm. again. The archives of Durell have been raided as the third game from the Van Phantom Zone raises its, <laughs> its head behind Turbo Esprit and Saboteur 2. I'm guessing this is Ursa because uh, <laughs> Turbo Esprit was non. <laughs> oh no, Saboteur yeah, yeah. 2 would have been Ursa, wouldn't it? So I'm guessing this must be General Zod. It's not kidding. So yeah, this is another encore budget re-release from the Durell catalogue. So I had a bit of a dig in this because we've been speaking about this and it, it seems that Elite did actually buy the Durell brand in 1987. Right. So they bought they didn't them. have to release these though. <laughs> no, they... We, you know, you've heard of Elite. <laughs> yeah, it's true, yeah. Remember his business plan. Weirdly, Durell <laughs> actually are still going. They carried on, they carried on, but went into financial software and services and are still going to this day. Oh, how weird is that? I know, it's strange, isn't it? But there you go, that's Durell. So they, they just went, uh, that's, you know, we hear about programs and stuff getting out of games. There's an entire company. That's what, <laughs> that's what happened here. Yes, it is. So this explains this wave of titles we've seen over recent weeks. So anyway, uh, Deep Strike. Okay. Created by Nick Wilson, originally in 1986. This got music from Rob Hubbard. It has. Yeah. The story in Deep Strike is thus. You are in control of a World One fighter. Your job is to protect and guide a flight of four bombers to take out an enemy fuel dump. That's it. I'm just going to say this at go. the beginning. It began life on the spectrum, like all these recent releases seem to, and it mm. shows... 
throughout. There's a yep. Spectrum-style loading screen showing some black and red biplanes in lovely Spectrum-style high-res. And when the game loads, the options are all keyboard-based. Always another sign of where this came from. No yep. thought to actually put this you know, onto a C64 that has a joystick port as standard. Mm, two of them. Two. And the game loads, we get the name Deep Strike in single color text at the top and a command to press any key to continue. Not sure why this is here. <laughs> That's all it does is takes <laughs> us to the title screen. Stupid. Ridiculous. Here we are greeted with some keyboard options. Zero to start the game, which is an odd one because it's at the other end of the keyboard. Weird. One to change the difficulty from easy, medium or hard and two to see the high scores. We also get Hubbard's rendition of the tune from 1941, which is an odd choice yeah. seen as the game is set in World War One, not World War Two. Shh. <laughs> it's like you got the wrong war rob yeah it's the wrong music uh. <laughs> oh and despite the fact that you would want to this tune cannot be turned off <laughs> you can't be stopped it, it can't be stopped <laughs> this is the everything's all right tune it, it can't is. be it's stopped the homer's doorbell it's yeah another homer's doorbell uh. Anyway, press zero to start the game and the Spectre emulation starts. We are seated in our fighter plane with the dashboard in front of us at the bottom of the screen. This gives us our score, high score, fuel gauge, a compass, which you need to always keep pointed up, which compasses do. That's the nature of a compass. Yeah. It's the We're background. That ro- it's the background that <laughs> rotates on a compass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Anyway, two yeah, uh, to point up two propeller blades, one blue and one green. Uh, your blue, I think, is your health, and the green is the health of the bomber that you're accompanying at the time. Oh, it might be the other way around. An indicator of how much ammo you have left, and how many bombs and the number of lives denoted by little biplanes in a sort of little little sort of window thing. Above this, taking up most of the screen, but not all of it, is the game window. This is the usual 3D flying screen with blue at the top and green at the bottom. And the game stat, oh, there's a dark, there's darker blue, or is it lighter blue at the top? It's got a weird sort of like... It's got a weird palette, hasn't it, this Yes, thing? very odd. Almost Spectrum-esque, one might say. <laughs> one might. Above this, yeah, so this is the usual 3D flying screen. I said, when the game starts, we see a black runway ahead of us, which we take off from automatically. Red biplanes and enemy balloons... Um, enemy sort of blimps, whatever, are in the sky. And as we take off, a black biplane flies from back behind us and in front of us. This is one of the bombers for you to protect. So essentially, you can climb or dive, bank left or right, and you need to shoot all the red enemies and protect your bombers. That's it. Pressing M brings up the most pointless map in existence because it's just... It is really pointless. It's 16 squares. You're in the bottom one, and the fuel dump is directly above you in the top one. Um, And you just got to go north. As it says, just keep going straight. <laughs> this map has no... Because if you go left or right, you're instantly killed by the most, <laughs> you know, by anti-aircraft fire. It tells you this. So what's the point of a map? <laughs> you need to be careful with your ammo, as you can easily run out. And if you run out, you can't shoot anymore. So right. that's... I get it. That may be realistic, but it don't make for a good, fun game experience, I have to say. And you need to keep your bombers alive to drop bombs on the run at the end. If you stray off course, like I said, and the arrow on the compass turns you, turns you or your bomber will be hammered, absolutely hammered by anti-aircraft fire. The 3D effects and the movement of everything on screen is jerky, to say the least, and lining up shots is a pain in the ass, as yet another barrage balloon or whatever they are just homes mercilessly into your bomber and blows it up. To give some life to the on-screen blasting, your shooting is accompanied by the sound of gunfire, which overrides the constantly playing music, creating an oral mishmash of horror. And there are no options to alleviate this. We saw this in something else <laughs> recently, didn't we? Where you were yeah. shooting, what was it? Was it that dwarf game, that dwarf and duck thing? Uh, yes, it was. Yes. Stupid ideas. Just stop yes. playing the main tune or 
Put something else in. Along the ground, black objects will jerk towards you like churches and trees. And supposedly, not jerk like churches and trees. They are churches and trees that jerk towards you. And supposedly you can bomb them, but there seems no real control here. Says you press space to drop bombs, but I could never do it. The game just lurches about from side to side. Red enemies litter the skies. And then just pepper you or your bomb with bullets until it's game over, for which you'll be thankful. But then the music is still playing, and so you won't be. Like Saboteur 2 and Turbo Esprit before it, there's no need for this to be re-released onto the public. It's a Spectrum game from 1986, and it shows. And this is probably worse, as these games never really fare well on the C64 anyway. Their spiritual homies on the Spectrum, leave them there, just let them be. We don't yes. need them, we've got loads of games. In 1986, this might have been okay, but even then we were getting budget games like Thrust and Kickstart and so on. So three years later, there's just no place for this. It's another clear cash grab to make some money from games that should have stayed in the past. It's not quite deep shite, but it's not far off. <laughs> what did you think? Um, I mean, as soon as I heard the music, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's familiar. Yeah, like you said, it's not, it's early Hubbard stuff, so this, so. Take it for what it is. It's not what you call a masterpiece. In you know, a bit, yeah. but it's eighty six. We'd had Monty on the Run and Crazy Comets by this point. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like I said, it's early Hubbard, and it's not. It's not compared to some of the other music in eighty six. It's not terrible, but it's not one that's going to set you on fire. So, and it is there. Like I said, it doesn't fit. Um, the game was everything about this was showing its age. Anyway, I mean, is it as bad as some of their other back catalogue items? It's a Spectrum game on the C sixty four, so it's just maybe it was amazing on the Spectrum in eighty six, but it was never going to play for me very well. I thought it was pretty crappy, buzzing around, shooting at sprite planes such as they were in monocolor, uninteresting gameplay. I can imagine on the Spectrum it was probably pretty exciting back in the day, but this is just nothing to offer. Um, I know it's only two pounds, but two pounds is a lot of money. If it's not if it's not worth two pounds, then there's something not great about it. You know, the novelty of the planes sort of fidgeting around the screen, and, and I know it's using sprites, so it's thankfully, but it's it just doesn't play out very well. It's just a bit of a mishmash of ideas that don't quite work. There's too much, you know flitting about i mean there may as well be moths and you may as well just be swatting moths out the sky for all the difference it makes and you never run out of bullets which you would do on an airplane unless your plane was infinitely capable of supporting mass which nothing is so that's a blatant <laughs> lie so you know physics anomalies aside um i thought the music was passable that's the and that's the only interesting thing about it other than that it's a very bland dull release that should probably just have been left on the Spectrum. And fair play, you know, be good on the Spectrum. Be a great 1986 Spectrum game. There is a reason why Durrell made it on the Spectrum, made a 64 version and buried it in the Phantom Zone. They thought nobody would be stupid enough to smash it and get it out. Also as well, looking at the Spectrum version, the Spectrum version has like a rolling countryside, so it's got hills and stuff. Because he said that in the instructions, you've got to fly over the hills and stuff, don't cut into it. Yeah, I never saw any of that. There was no hills. The C64 version is flat. It is flat. Yeah, well, that's, you know, and for obvious reasons, because they, they probably tried it with the hills and they're like, wait a minute, it's gone down to 0.2 frames a second. <laughs> so it's just not good. It's, it was never going to be, um, and thankfully, I always wondered what the game was like to that music, because it's obviously, you always come across it when you're looking through all of Hubbard's music on any of the ar- music archives. And I've always wondered what it was like. Now I know, and I wish I hadn't. And now I could have kept that music in my mind. It's just you know, a jolly <laughs> yeah. version of the 1941 theme, but now it's tied to that crappy game. So now, rubbish. Even for two quid, it's just not good. Not good at all. It's not good. What a triple thrash treat that's been. <laughs> yeah. Can we go back to talking about Joy-Cons and Wiimotes? I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> we should. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's the first half. That's three games done. We've got two more to come after we do the next bit. But after this short break, we will be back where we'll be looking at TV and film for August 1989. I hope there's something interesting to talk about there.
And we're back. Uh, let's get into it. Film and TV, August 1989. Uh, well, there's not a lot going on in the world of TV. 18th to the 20th of August, Michael mm. Aspel presents Murder Weekend. Chippy. I know, a five-part televised murder mystery series for ITV. The show, devised and written by Joy Swift, sees celebrities attempting to solve a murder, with viewers also invited to identify the suspect. Did we do this before, like TV Cluedo? Wasn't there one set in space? There was one set in space, yeah. Um, mm. But they were, I think, weren't they sort of driving the plot or something? Or there was some weirdness going on. They were filming. I can't remember, but it was, it was like another bloody, you know, it yeah. was Colonel Clink in the wardrobe with the iron cheese or whatever, you know. The interesting thing about this is Joy Swift. I mean, because she basically invented mm. those murder weekends. Yes, yes, she did kind of invent so, uh, that. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. In 1981, she came up with the idea of an interactive murder mystery that would allow hotel guests to become sleuths. And that's mm. a huge, that's a massive industry now, isn't so, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Have you done, have you done any weekend? of those yourself? Have you ever been to I, I've, I've not, not a murder one, not a, miss, not a hotel one, have you? Yes, yes, we did, yeah. We was did, it good? one of those. Not really, no. I just found it really <laughs> annoying. And it was just, it was, we, each of the sort of parts of the, the playlet that happened to sort of where they play out parts of the thing was sort of between courses of a meal. And I was quite hungry that day. So <laughs> it just... Just kind of, I was like, just never, never mind the murder. Just bring on the desserts. So I was like, was there loads of ham, was loads of hamdram acting. Yeah, it was very, very, very hamdram. Very, very. Yeah. What do you mean, Dennis is dead? That kind of thing. Oh no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the five episodes for this were entitled "Dream of Monks a Coughing," "A Funerals in the Offing," <laughs> "Dream of Gulls a Screeching," "Heed the Parsons mm. Preaching," right? "Dream of Tom's a Snarling," "A Quarrel with Your Darling," "Dreams of mm. Vipers Hissing." Your favourite dog's gone missing. That's not where I thought that was going. That's and dream of, <laughs> dream of yaks are mooing, sign of your undoing. They were struggling at that point, weren't they, to rhyme something <laughs> with a mooing. So, the cast included David Delve, Eric Allen, John Hudson and Jason Salkey. Okay. <sighs> it's a, it's a, you remember them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an absolute who's who. <laughs> yeah. The first part of the uh, thing you had to solve was who the hell they were. <laughs> yeah. Who's been killed? John Salvi, who's he? <laughs> who's he? Who's, da- who's David Delve? <laughs> <laughs> don't know. He's the butler. But oh, it's, I bet it's pronounced Delvey, isn't it? It's bound to be David Delvey. It's not Delvey. Really Dave, Dave Delvey. Delve, is it? You're going to be Dav Dev, is he? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, but there we go. That's where that's where your murder mystery started. 1981. Joyce. Well, it's quite impressive that Joseph came up with that. I mean, you know, obviously he's yeah. gone on to do, you know, it's gone on to do all sorts of things, but yeah. well, TV. They've never really done it again, have they? Not very often they do things like that. Not really, no. I mean, didn't, yeah. I mean, the film Clue was a little bit like that, wasn't it? I mean, it was based on Cluedo. Yeah, it's essentially, it's essentially Cluedo, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. What do they call it in America? I can't remember. It's not Cluedo, Clue. is it? Is it Clue over there? Just Clue. 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 Clue which is the right pronunciation for Cluedo. 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 Why is it Cluedo? Because it's D-O. You don't it's say... Nintendo, is it? You don't go on your Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> Sega do what Nintendo don't. <laughs> Cluedo. Nintendo. <laughs> Play-do. <laughs> Break out the Play-do. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Who's done a doo-doo in the play-doo? That's a dodo, you and me. <laughs> 25th of August, Rupert Murdoch delivers the McTaggart Memorial Lecture at the Edinburgh International Television Festival, in which he I launches did. an attack on the narrow elitism within the British television industry. Oh, the irony. Yeah, maybe there was at that time. That's before he took over it all. 
Yeah, exactly. If I, if there's going to be elitism and narrowness in this industry, it's going to be me. I mean, the McTaggart Memorial Lectures are very famous lectures, actually, at the at Edinburgh International Television Festival. Some been amazing keynote speakers in those through the years. Really amazing. And all the Murdochs have had a go at that. So Rupert Murdoch did it back in 89, and then his daughter had a go, I think, in 2000 and something. And then his son's recently had a go as well. Um, weirdly, his son's version was kind of almost the same as his father's version so you know 20 odd plus years later whatever it was he's back up there going they're bloody tv elites so, yeah <laughs> and okay. he's just taken over yeah yeah exactly so it's what i mean so it's pretty crazy that that you know he's still sore about it to this day he's like that bloody tv elites but you're one of them rupert you you're a tv elite now <laughs> you are oh, i'm still bloody angry about it and that's the best impression I'm ever going to do. That's very good. It's very good. You just lost us all our Australian listeners, but it's very good. Rupert Murdoch probably would have done that anyway. And when he hears we've done this, he'll send in the flying monkeys to kill us. So be careful. <laughs> Absolutely. Which won't work. I did the research. Um, 26th of August, ITV airs Michael Lindsay Hogg's science fiction mystery television movie, Murder on the Moon. Starring Bridget yes. Nielsen, Julian Sands, Gerald McRaney, Jane Lepoitier, Celia Imrie, and Brian Cox. It is. Yeah. It also had, what's his face in it? Daphne Coleman. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's got it focuses about the American and Soviet mining companies teamed up with several human settlements exploited satellites' resources to survive as the... Well, I can't read this. Who wrote this? As investigators between NASA and KGB are forced to solve the case together. Someone dies really slowly at the start. I do, yeah, in space, yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the slowest death I've ever seen. That, oh, yeah, death it's, it's really it, bouncy slowness. The full thing is on like YouTube, so you can go and watch the whole thing. We'll put a link to the show notes um, and the trailer. Weirdly, though, I noticed that um, it's there's two names for it. There's Murder by Moonlight is another name for it, as well as Murder on the Moon. So mm, That's weird. Um, there's some good accents in this. Julian Sands' uh, Russian accent is uh, is a thing to thing to listen to. Yeah, it's up there in the 2010, you know, 2010 Russian accents. No, it's it's the same like, league as that. There are some yeah, terrible, good. terrible murders here. Yeah. <laughs> that was that's like borderline. That's Scottish Russian, that. <laughs> that's what he sounds that was like. That That was very scrushian. But also, I noticed that Bridget Nielsen is a terrible actor. Oh, you've just noticed? <laughs> <laughs> I've not watched much of the ring, but I also posted a picture of here. She's in that outfit when she gets out of a spacesuit right at the beginning. I want to know why. <laughs> it's because it's Bridget Nielsen and she has to, in it every film or TV show she's in. When I was watching just to this, get the cans she out. out. And she's just in a, a negligee. <laughs> That's it, but that's what she does. I mean, apart from, who's going to argue with her? She's, what, seven foot or something? She's a giant. Uh, Terrifying true. woman, I imagine. You know, she's quite big and bold. Tackleberry would be good for her. They should get them together. We should do. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tackleberry! <laughs> Hightower. Hightower Nielsen. Together at last. Uh <laughs> Yeah, you desperate. have to watch. We'll post a link. Just go watch the beginning and then go, why is she wearing that? Yeah, exactly. She- and then, yeah, why is she wearing that? <laughs> why? Yeah, if you, if you can get past the dodgy accents and the the blatant overuse of the NASA logo, I think they must have got, a, you know, they said, yeah, you can use it for that if you want. Right, that's on everything. Everything in there is NASA branded. <laughs> go to the toilet, NASA branded toilet paper, everything. <laughs> NASA lid. Everything's NASA in that. Everything, yeah. which is fair enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, BBC One is News 39 for a week of new style programs hosted by Sue Lawley, marking the 50th anniversary of the start of World War II. Something you want marking, isn't it? Each edition was presented in news format, reporting on events as if they were occurring in this present time. The bulletin ends on 3rd of September. Yes, and of course, thanks to the magic of YouTube, they're all on YouTube, so you can go and watch them. Yeah. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of them. Um, 
So, and they are very depressing, as to be said. It's, yeah. Um, no, it's not. I mean, I, I get what the idea was behind it. I get that idea. But it is, you know, reenacting the Second World War dramas in this way. It's just, it's like a, there's a British obsession with it around that time. There was loads of it. And I get it because it's, you know, there's, there's a, a 50th anniversary of the start of the war. And I get all that. I understand all that. But is this what people really wanted to see again? There's still people who were probably, you know, who lived through that, who probably didn't ever want to actually reimagine what it was going to be like again. And so they have to then put on the TV. Come on, dear, we're going to sit, watch a bit of telly. You got your cup of tea. Oh, it's the war again. You know, yeah. do they want to relive it again in modern graphics? No, I don't think they do, do they? No. Well, it's the thing is, it's like, it's England's preoccup- preoccupation, England's preoccupation with things we've won. See 1966. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it's it. That you thing. Know, I, and I don't, I don't, it's like, oh, for God's sake, let it go. It's just that dramatic, the way that the, the first one, the dramatic news of, you know, the start of the invasion and Poland and everything else. And it's just, you know, you think historically, it's very important that these things are learned, obviously, and everything else. But is, is this the right format to do it? Do we need to sort of give it a modern graphical spin? And, a, no. and as you've rightly pointed out, it does look like a brass eye or day to day episode. <laughs> it did. As soon as. Just go and watch it. You'll see. You know, go and watch that. Then go and watch the opening of any of the day to days brass eyes. You know, I'm almost surprised you didn't go. It's war. It's war. Yeah, this is the news. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Anyway, new shows. Let's get into some new shows. Second of August, Garfield and Friends. Yeah, I'm too old for this shit by now. Yeah, I'm too old for it. But I, I never really liked Garfield apart from a minor. Infatuation when I was maybe about nine, quite no. like the little books. And he the has actual no animated friends. ones. No, no, he doesn't because he's, he's he's an unlikable thing. He's an he's unlikable fat lasagna eating. Yeah, surly. Yeah, miserable. Yeah, sarcastic, miserable cat. Don't so. need friends. It's better on his yeah. own. But they introduced loads of wacky characters into this. So the, I mean, if you watch the opening credits, I did watch the opening credits. I'm not happy about so it's it. So like, it's got that friends are this and the Garfield sings that bit, and then this there's a chicken and a pig. I'm like. What what happened? When did they come into it? Last, the last I remember, it was Garfield, Nermal, Odie the dog. Was it John, the, the guy that you know yeah, yeah. L- somehow lives in the house? And there was um, another character, female cat. I can't remember the name of that. Arlene, I think. Those are the characters I remember. Then suddenly there's a pig, a chicken, a, you know, a dog, another dog, and, and a farmyard. Really, I'm like, what's going on? And how is that funny? How is Garfield, a sarcastic lasagna eating cat? who doesn't, by the way, move his mouth when he talks, so he's telepathic, which is kind of something that completely <laughs> well, skipped cat, me for a long time. Talk. Yeah, but, you know, in- animated cats can do what they want, can't they? But this they one, can, he's, he's, a, he's a telepathic cat, much like Sooty, actually, was a... Some, well, he, he spoke, didn't he, Sooty? He whispered. But only to one person, yeah, just to one yeah, he person. he whispered. He, he had that throat thing, didn't he? He couldn't speak. Matthew Corbett That's was right, a he, was, he was a puppet. <laughs> Matthew Corbett was a Sooty whisperer. <laughs> oh, a Sooty Matthew Corbett whisperer. Oh. We may never know the truth. There you go. <laughs> that's, a, that's a proper M. Night Shyamalan twist. <laughs> <laughs> it's a glass half full, glass half full conversation, right? Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, the twist Matthew in the Corbett plot. was the puppet all along. <laughs> yeah, no, Matthew Shamalama Ding Dong's just written that down. That'll be the next story now. Instead of it's just people turning up at a house and telling everyone they're going to die or whatever, maybe some, you know, sooty, a mute puppet turns up and it turns out he's controlling everyone. Where do you get that idea from? He listens to our podcast, damn you, Shalaman. Shamalama Ding Dong. <laughs> you better run, Shamalan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I watched the Garfield and Friends and I, my thought was just don't watch it. It was, wasn't no. funny at all. It was really unfunny. It came from the same stable as Scrappy Doo, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, 20th of August is the 15 Streets. Oh. 
I don't even know what this was, but you you put a clip on it, and it was probably the dullest thing I've watched since those clips of the Sullivans. Yeah, it was a British British sort of British drama, wasn't it, with Sean Bean in it? That's as much as I saw. Sure, a very young Sean Bean in it, who you know puts on a good accent performance. He's, it was he played like, Sean Bean everything. The, but. the clip you put on was it's that guy out of Game of Thrones, isn't it? On he's on the yeah. wall. He comes in and gives someone some tomatoes and then says he's off to church. Yeah, it does, yeah. It's, 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 the, it's the watch person <laughs> in like, the end. They, I thought... Like, <laughs> some tomatoes, but they say they're oranges, which is weird as well, because they're yeah. oranges, they are. It's like, they're clearly tomatoes, you stupid idiot. Yeah. And he goes, I'm off to church. Yeah. What's strange about that? I'm off to church. I'm off to church. When? Now. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Next <laughs> week, he will actually go to church. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great, was it? It's one of those classic British, you know, Period framed that, as well. When he walks in, his head's yeah. half cut off. <laughs> <It's really, laughs> that like, could have been the, the zoomed in version. It could have been, yeah, TV, maybe. But, yeah, but, but maybe. it isn't good. Don't watch it. Don't do it. No. It's on YouTube. Uh, Don't do it. Also, 20th of August is the Wonder Years. Oh, this did my head in this show. Did you not like it? I used to like the Wonder Years. There was a, there was a period of my life when I liked it. When yes. But it kind of ran out of cuteness for me because it was destined to run out of cuteness because Fred Savage was never going to stay cute forever. As he started to get older, he just He's started to get... still cute you know, now, Fred Savage. Have you seen a picture recently? It looks exactly the same. I just didn't dig it. It's, there's, part, there's moments in it that are quite funny and the idea of it, I suppose, but um, I just, in the end, I kind of, you know, it went the same way as Dawson's Creek and all of those TV shows where it's like schmaltzy American kid dramas that, you know... Without uh, the Wonder Years, you wouldn't have got Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's not an important show. I just, I, I over, And I liked parts of it, but over time I just got kind of, eh, no, and it also, it, I don't know which came first, this or Stand By Me, but the, the, obviously it owes a lot to that kind of so vibe Stand By, that me, came Stand out. by me did. Um, so it owes a lot to the vibe of Stand By Me, that show, because it's got that yeah. kind of, you know, you know back, reminiscent adult kid looking back when he was younger kind of vibe. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very, very Stand By Me-ish. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny in places, though. Um, 20th of August is The Endless Game. I felt that was very when strange I watched, when I watched a clip of it. Yeah, it's got an odd cast in it. It's a bit of a weird thing. I don't know. Espionage Shrillers with George Siegel in the lead roles. There's quite a few of those around. Um, I just watched a bit at the beginning where some girl came out of the thingy holding something over her chest and then he walked in and put a put tape over her mouth and it cut yeah. away. I was like, what's going on here? This is very odd. You might not want to know. Is George Siegel anything to do with Steven Siegel? That's what I'd like to know. Are they related no, in some way? No, no, he's not. Not from the same nest? No, unfortunately not, no. <laughs> Steven <laughs> Seagal the... came along and kicked his nest out, out the tree. And then ate a carrot over the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he was an egg that got kicked out of the nest, yeah. All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, he's got music by a new Morricone. It's actually really good music, the Endless Game, so it's on the Morricone, one of his many compilations, but it is very good, so stands out. And finally, 27th of August, GoldenEye, which is not ah, the... F- obviously, you think it's too early, because it's not GoldenEye, the Bond film, but GoldenEye, the film about Ian Fleming. It is, documentary Which I've never watched, him, yeah. so whatever. If you went to the cinema... Speaking of James Bond, this is clearly why it's probably released. 4th of August, you could have gone seeing License to Kill. Could. Yeah, 16th James Bond movie. Uh, it's a good film, it's a good Bond film. Yeah, second said, I think we said final, before. wasn't it, for Dalton, yeah. It is the last one, yeah. And as you've rightly noted, brutal, as I said at the time. It's, it's Very it's dark, brutal, It's dark actually. and brutal, this film. Yeah, surprisingly brutal, um, more more so than I remembered it. Um, uh, there's actually, funnily enough, if you go a bit of, do a bit of YouTube hunting, um, all the most gruesome bits are on YouTube, of course. Of course. So a bit where a guy gets fed to a tiger shark, which is pretty gruesome the way it's done. 
A guy gets exploded in a decompression chamber. That's pretty grim. Yep. Um, a guy gets dropped into a rock crusher um, and he gets splatted in that. And he, that's not very nice. In fact, the guy in the decompression chamber gets popped. He's, he's like his face expanding. He goes kaboom. Yeah. And then and then at the end, and I'm not spoilers, but you know what? It's 20, 30 years or whatever. Um, he sets the guy on fire with his like, posh lighter, which is a bit, you know, a bit moribund, isn't it? It does. Yeah. And he's all he's out, he's out on his own and he to kill and it's good yeah it's good it's good one this one yeah he um, loses his license to kill doesn't he that's the thing so he te- yeah. gets taken off him because he doesn't want to do a mission so he he gets kicked out and he yeah and he goes on his own mission it's got a really good um truck 18 wheeler truck chase as well towards yeah the, the last well. the last act is amazing in it it's yeah really high action great bond action in that really good, good really good stunts and stuff shame yeah. shame he didn't do another one timothy dalton i always thought shame because i thought he was a good bond well that bond movie a lot of Classic Bond stalwarts involved in the production of James Bond movies all died, more or less, at the, not at the same time, but they all died within a very short space of time. So I'll, yeah, one was um, Fetishar, one, one was in a decompression chamber, <laughs> <laughs> one was Christian a rock crusher. Um, so, for, I mean, the, the thing to note is this wasn't an Ian Fleming story, was it, at all? There was p- bits that were nicked from other Ian Fleming stories, but it's not an actually yeah. fully-fledged Ian Fleming one. It was, it was completely original, apart from a little bit where they'd taken it from a couple of other Bond premises. Yeah, I think so, um, yeah. And then um, a few of the key Bond, like I said, the Bond people involved in production and a few of the famous Bond, who people who'd been involved in the previous Bond movies in some capacity had either died or retired or anything else. So this was kind of a final hurrah to a lot of the classic crew that were involved in Bond movies. And I think maybe Dalton was just part of the, well, you know, maybe I don't want to do it. And I always felt maybe he just didn't want to be typecast as Bond. I mm. think he liked the role, but, you know, but if, once you play Bond too many times, that's it. You're just James Bond forever. You can't do anything else. True. As uh, the recent Bond has kind of proven, really. Yeah, you know. true. If you didn't fancy going to see that, you could have also gone seen The Karate Kid 3. The really convoluted plot to Karate Kid 3. And I didn't remember anything about the third one. So it's weird. It is. And I think it's because, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because it, it's, well, it's, have you watched Cobra Kai? No, I haven't watched any of them. It's on my list, but I, I, I just haven't had a chance to watch it. It's, it's very dumb, good. It's dumb, cheesy fun. You will roll your eyes every episode, like that, but you'll be having a laugh at the same time while you're doing it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely that. that. But it's got the main villain from this is back in it. And so the, yeah, all the yeah, main yeah. villains all come back for it's into Cobra Kai. But this is the introduction of, uh, what is it, John, John Kreese? I think he's oh, Terry That's Silver right. and Crease is the thingy one, the guy from the first one. But his yeah. his, his, his Vietnam buddy Terry Silver comes back and wants yes. to wreak havoc or whatever. And Daniel San goes over to train with him and yada yada. And... His, well, he's forced to, isn't he? Because they because they challenge him to be in a tournament and he says no. And then they basically hang him off a cliff. Him and his girlfriend at the time, and then he sort of agrees to do it. And then he goes to train with that guy, much to Mister mm. Miyagi's chagrin, who then kind of disowns him. Says yeah. I'm not going to train you because I don't think you should be involved in it. Bearing in mind, at this point, he's also inadvertently had to buy a, buy into a bonsai tree shop. It's what I mean. The plot's a bit convoluted. <laughs> it's just best to get it, with quite, it. But it all ends in the same way. It all ends up with one fight at the tournament, yeah. uh, and then he has to pull off some magical moves. In this, he does kata. Now I've done karate, and I can tell you that's designed for fighting off multiple opponents. You can't just stand there and do a kata in front of someone and pull off a slight death move or something. It's just watching you going. Right, punch in the face, you're done. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Crack 2 was good. 
But I mean, but the move at the end of that was just swinging your fist from left to right. It'll never, yeah. they'll never have the impact of the the crane kick from the end of the first one because no. you know it was kind of iconic at the time that that move. And do you know? And do you know what's strange? Right? If you think about the guy that plays the lead character in Karate Kid, is he called Mac- Ralph Macchio? Isn't it? Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Loads of Ralph Macchio films end with him in some kind of tournament doing a kind of special move. <laughs> Loads of them. Even like the one he's in with Steve Vai when they're playing guitar. Crossroads. At Crossroads, he ends up at a big concert doing special moves as a final finishing move. That's, maybe that's his thing. He's been typecast as the guy that does the finishing move in things. Because he's <laughs> yeah. in three Karate Kid movies. He's in that one. There's another one where he does it as well. Um, it, could, it could very well be. Strange. Strange. Yeah. And weirdly enough, in Cobra Kai, because he's 60-odd now, but he looks know, like, he's, he's, he, you know, he's, never, he's unaging. He's, he's mum rather ever living. He must be something going on with him. <laughs> uh 11th of August, we've been speaking about it for a while with soundtracks and stuff like that, but Batman finally makes its appearance. Yes, yes, more modern Batman. Yeah. This is a really weird, I mean, I loved this at the time. I was all over, I, you know, I was massively caught up in the hype for Batman. I was like, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Batman suit. I did, yeah, and I used to run around sort of thing pretending to be Batman until, until I jumped yeah. off that high you know, high rise and yeah, things ended badly. It was unnerving when you didn't wear the suit, you just wore the <laughs> belt, but yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes I lost <laughs> the bottom half. It was, a, it was a misplaced thing, you know, but I was, was. duty-bound duty to wear the top half. There were certain places and clubs where that look was very popular, let me tell you. <laughs> I can, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I haven't watched this in years, and I'm kind of like loath to go back to it i'm sure I've, I've probably watched it but there were always bits of it that i was more fond of than other bits i was never a massive fan of nicholson as the joker not particularly i mm. thought he was all right but i think keaton as batman was very good and i like some of the cinematography and some of the moments in it with the uh the bat plane going up into the moon and things like that and some of the mm. cool bits of bobs but i think it was always a film and i think i always preferred the second one to the first one batman returns but that was just okay. me You've, you've linked to an article about some of the harsh realities of rewatching Burton's Batman movies 30 years on. And I, I get article. it. Yeah, I read it. I think the, my problem with that is that, uh, and it's one of the, well, because one of the points is that it, all the films just feel like one offs. And to an extent they are, because that's what they were back then. But that just sounds like someone who just wants extended universes for everything. Superhero films now have to exist in a larger universe with lots more going on. It's like, well, maybe, maybe they don't. I think but they don't, do they? The Batman movies don't exist in that universe. They almost exclusively don't. There's no, three, that's what I mean. So, but yeah, but that's what, it's not. I don't think that quite was quite the point he's making there. Is that they they need to exist in a big universe? He's basically saying that the characters remain pretty flat and one dimensional. Other than the stupid characters, and they in their in their films, they're really stupid. So th- th- there's depth, there's depth to more modern superheroes, but there's not in the original Batman's with Tim Burton's Batman. They're all flat. Yeah, and that's a fair point. But each film feels like its own thing. Yeah, I, I, I can see that though. In it, I can see that in some ways. But but I don't think that's a particularly bad thing. I think it is if you're going to have because conti- you've got continuation with Batman. You can't just each film can't just be an independent adventure with batman there has to be some co- contingency and coherency to it they don't because the, he created the world of batman that darker world which is you know that is to his you know to be commended yeah. but you then pe- makes it into a pantomime by the second movie it's just a pantomime with really silly characters that don't mean anything um, maybe and i think it sort of he gets the point with batman but misses the point with everything else batman and gotham actually so he gets the gothic of gotham he gets the sort of gothic interpretation of batman actually as in the batman not as in mm. bruce wayne everything else is wrong everything else and so when you look at it with a modern not even a modern lens you just look at it with the time lens you sort of see that you're like actually jack nicholson's the funny parts aren't funny they're out of place jack nicholson's character is kind of not the right characterization for joker yeah that's at all. what i always thought at the time as well and then but then so then it's the same with later with michelle pfeiffer's character and 
and I don't know. I, don't, I just think, I think we've been spoiled for Batman. I think that's the problem because obviously yeah, then the, we the, get the, the more modern the, ones. The Nolan think, wow, films okay. are still the best ones, but. Yeah, but I still, I, I admire the, I admire the Gotham of, Tim Burton's Gotham is the best Gotham, I think. It looks dark. It looks like a Gotham should. Yeah. That part I really like and that tonality I really like. And I like more of the sort of hands off, you know, Commissioner Gordon stuff as opposed to the kind of overly hands in that you get with the Nolan Batman, but because they feel a bit more like a cop drama, you know, but I suppose that's kind of the angle he's going for, but I don't know. I just, and the trouble is I think I'm, I think I'm overwhelmed with Batman because you've got the Batman games, you've got the Batman TV shows, you've got the Batman comics, you've got the Batman cartoons, you've got the Batman. Well, we said this with the, ba- with the Batman films. games. I think the thing is to sort of remember, apart from the comics and those, the, the sixties TV shows in the film, Batman wasn't really a big deal to us at this point. And it was only with this film that really kickstarted, Batman into a bit more of a higher profile because then the game started to appear. We had two games because p- people into comics like Batman probably. Well, we had the, remember, we had Batman cartoon. Don't forget, there was a Batman cartoon that was really popular in the UK. Was there? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember you that. Must, you must have seen the Batman cartoon show. What, the later one, the Kevin Nolan one? No, the, the one that was out in the sort of in the early 80s, the mid 80s. There's a Batman cartoon then. I don't remember that. It was, it looked, it was drawn in the same way that Space Ghost was drawn, that kind of, that kind of look. Mm, maybe. I don't know. The only Batman cartoon I remember is the one that was in the 90s, the one with. But the it, guy he who did do a him. disappearing act, didn't he, Batman? He just vanished because, and then it kind of, every now and again, they would show that one Batman movie from the 60s that came, you know, where the yeah. one with the, you know, that one, that, that would pair, you know, no, well, some days you can't get rid of a bomb, that one. Yeah. So that would pop up, and that was that was it. And then all of a sudden, this. Then Joel Schumacher came along and killed it again. Yeah, that's just you know that's the studio. That's the studio not liking Tim Burton's direction and not liking the way he was taking the movies. And where yeah. where was he going to go with it? I think that was their problem. Um, so they chose to um, give it to Joel Schumacher, who took it into a neon nightmare. Yeah, just in, introducing silly characters. You know, silly characters that have no meaning. I mean, it's a pity actually because of all the characters that could have really been good. Jim Carrey as a villain. As the Riddler, should have been great. It should have been amazing. And just instead of this camp nightmare that it became. But, but by, time you get to, by the time you get to Arnie as Mr. Freeze. Yeah, it's just, it's all silly. And that's when you get stupid jokes in there. And is it George Clooney plays Batman it at that point? George and Clooney, like, yeah, and and it's got, got Batgirl in it. And, and bat nipples. Like, rubbish, yeah. And also it's got, um, Robin actually says, holy rusted metal, doesn't he? Yeah. It's rent metal and it's rusty and it's got full of holes. I'm like, right, off. I actually switched it <laughs> off at that point. <laughs> Yeah. Um, interesting, though, the Val Kilmer one has one of the very first digitally animated full human um, animation sequences in it. It's when he falls off the right. building and he's falling down. That's all digitally animated, his cloak and everything. That person, it's not, you know, it's all it's one of the very first instances of a fully humanoid digital animation. Yeah, I bet it looks crap now compared to modern effects. Which one's that? Was that Batman Forever? That's the third yeah, one, isn't it? Yeah, Batman Forever, yeah. It's a good soundtrack to that, though. But, you know, I think also as well, this had that great soundtrack which helped to, to lift it up as well. Yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah, that's the the, the, the big character in it. That is That really does lift it up. Yeah. And it, uh, some of the designs, I really like some of the sequences. The, the Batmobile was quite interesting. It's massive. Yes, like, yes. Thing, and and, and there's just a Batcave and everything. There's some really cool sequences in this. Like you said, the, 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 the set dressing and all that around it is great. Um, yes, and I do. I do actually like the final confrontation in the cathedral, and um, yeah, I, I think the final fight's a bit of a letdown. But the actual the gothicness of it, the gothic parts when it's gothic, it's really good. And I will tell you what, I was in the um, I've been to studios in Los Angeles where the, where there's a Batman exhibition, mm. and you can go and see the all of the Batmobiles in one big warehouse. It's quite an amazing thing. And the best Batmobile be, to be to, to the, you know the way they make them because they make them full size as well. For obviously for the movie, these replicas, but the full size. 
the best one in there was the Batman one from this movie by, by Myers. Yeah, it is good, that one. And the modern one's just like a giant tank vehicle, but they, that one does look really, really good. The classic it Batman is interesting if you, undrivable, if, but. if you watch Batman Begins as well, because watched, I've watched uh, that again recently, the ba- Batman Begins is almost like a, from a set dressing-wise and from a sort of continuity point of view, it almost feels like the link, it is almost like a link between Tim Burton's Batman films and what will go on into Dark Knight. Because the Gotham, yeah. Gotham in Batman Begins feels a lot more gothic and Burton-esque yes, and dark and yes, things like that than it does. Well, whereas it's clearly just Chicago in yeah, Dark yeah, Knight. Yeah. Quite agree. Yeah, it take, it's not as good in that, and it's certainly not as good as in the one with Bane either. That's that's where it gets to be. It just it just feels like any town USA really is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotham. So the, the the second the Dark Knight pairing sort of thing. Mm. It, it just feels like a city because a lot of it's filmed in daytime as well. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of um, Batman Begins with the ba- Batman sequences are all at night, and oh, I just seem to remember it. that sequence towards the end when they, they and it's got a really crazy Batman plot as well, where they're going to release all that smoke into the atmosphere and t- turn everyone crazy with Scarecrow's fear fear gas. Yeah, yeah, and Ra's al Ghul yeah. with the and the sort of suspended metro and stuff over the city and stuff. It just feels yeah. like a more weirdly sort yeah. of comic book city whereas yeah which was a sort of, i felt was more in keeping with these first two burton films but yeah yeah i absolutely agree i mean you know that is an entire heritage of batman stuff isn't there around all of the graphic mm-hmm. novels that are more, far more gothic and that lends itself to that you know that i forget the name of the famous writer that did them all but the is it alan moore yeah alan um, moore's done them. there's been loads of people done them yeah i mean don't get me wrong it's a great movie batman still it's just the, the the villainy of it is not quite. But we've had such good jokers. It's hard to look back at that one now and go, you know, when you've had Heath Ledger's Joker, we've had a good like, Joker. Otherwise, yeah, we J- Jared Leto. Yeah, well, exa- well, yeah, but I mean, you've got you know, you've got Heath Ledger's Joker. You've got what's his name? You've got Joker. You know, the, the, which is a genuinely brilliant film, has to be said. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you've got those, and then you've got all of the game jokers and all of the characterization in the comics and as well, which is Mark, what's his name? Yeah, Mark it? Hamill so, in the in the cartoon. Yeah. So, yeah. so those those are the jokers. I much prefer that evil street crazy mix up crazy genius mm. play. I do the one thing in that article. The one I really did agree with was there was no point in making Joker the one who killed Batman's mum and dad. That shouted studio intervention to me. Yeah, probably. Probably someone on the script. Well, I wouldn't be good if they if he killed his thing. He's like, no, because it's, it's just Joe. And they Jill. must have hunted high and low for a guy who had a smile that wide. Yeah, they must have done. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a mad smiler, isn't he? That guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Joe Smiler. <laughs> Irony. Uh, also, the same day, if you didn't fancy that Batman, you could have gone seen Crusoe. Nah, I'm not going to see Crusoe. <laughs> Batman was literally taking over the world at this point. Yeah, that was Aiden Quinn, wasn't it? As Robinson yeah, Crusoe, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Uh, 18th of August, week later, if you if you weren't all superheroed out, you could have gone seeing Kickboxer. You could have, yeah. Big, <laughs> that was a big hit for Canon, wasn't it, that Canon film? So bad. That film's so bad. It's rubbish. It is utterly rubbish. <laughs> Obviously, it's the Jean-Claude Van Damme Kickboxer film. It's dreadful. Yeah. It's dreadful. Terrible. Terrible <laughs> but film. it does have the classic dance. It has the kickboxer drunken dance, yeah. I'll put the clip in the show notes. Just go and watch it and you should, fill, fill you, your life. If you don't do anything and ever look at our show notes, just go look at that, find that, watch the Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> dance scene. You, you'll thank us. You will thank it's, us. It's legendary. I remember laughing when I first saw it because we had a friend who was seriously into He had a cardboard cut out of Jean-Claude Van Damme's bedroom. <laughs> the guy was into it. He was into it. He brought this round for us to watch because he was into this and that other one. Um, What's Bloodsport? Yes. We watched this. We all fell about laughing when he started dancing, <laughs> and he took it very personally. That <laughs> he did because that's like, how he danced. He, 
because he was well, he kind of modeled himself on John Cullen Van Damme. So he was like, you know, he's into into you know all the martial arts and everything else and all of that. And then when we were like falling about laughing at his, it's not good dance either. It's it's not good. And he's in Breakdance, the movie, isn't he? One of them as well. It's not good. I don't know. It's not good. Twenty yeah. fifth uh, of August, Three Fugitives. Unfunny. That's the tragedy of that film. It's just not funny. Is it Martin Short, Nick Nolte, and some girl? Yeah. Something? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you think you now your sides are going to split, but Nick Nolte just doesn't work in a comedy partnership with Martin Short. It just really falls flat. No. Not Someone really. thought it'd good. be like good like he was in 48 hours but that was yeah it, but that's because he's a not, foil to eddie murphy yeah it's exactly and it's eddie murphy for goodness sake you know Matt shot's funny guy but he's no eddie, eddie murphy no, in his heyday especially yeah uh same day you could have gone seeing the return of the musketeers i think i i think i did go see this actually because I, I loved the musketeers films three and four musketeers yeah, they're good um they're really funny it's those little sort of ad-libs and stuff in the background the little side clips from the non-characters brilliant stuff they're good i mean they're, they're kind of dubious sexuality films now i suppose and the representations but they are what they are but they are sadness they are. here is that roy kinnear who was a key part of a lot of those films died during the making of that film when he fell off a horse yeah so, yes um, yeah poor roy he did and also it's got oliver reed in that film who is pretty much smashed all the way through that <laughs> film you can kind of pretty, tell yeah pretty much you can tell uh, i mean goodness me wow yeah um, I know Gary really likes the uh, Return of the Musketeers and uh, sorry, and the Three well, Musketeers. He always films. fancied himself as a you know a D'Artagnan, <laughs> didn't he? But he was more of a Roy Kinnear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he was no Porthos, was he? Or Aramis? That's for sure. No, no, or Athos. No. Uh, and finally, no. for the month, he could have gone seen Bull Durham. Another baseball Costner. film with Kevin Costner in it. Yeah, he did a lot of them, didn't he? Just it's this where he started to appear in stuff, though, isn't it? You know, he, starts, he starts to he starts to Bull. appear drift Costner across your transom. Bull Durham, Costner, yeah, exactly. Bull is Costner um, Durham. Costner is you know two for one at Costner. Um, <laughs> who's this? Who's he in it with? Is it? It's uh, it's Susan Sarandon. It's with Bull it? yeah. and Durham. Yeah. Yeah, oh, sto- story of somebody famous called Bull Durham. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to watch that. No, it's got Tim Robbins in as well with Unfathomable Hair. Um, there you go. That's it. That's your film. That's your TV. Obviously, Batman's probably the most interesting standout one from there. And you could have seen Bridget Nielsen for some reason in a negligee get out of a spacesuit. <laughs> negligee spacesuit, yeah. yeah. That's what they all wear. That's what they all wear. Yeah, Even the men. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> It's just what NASA is nothing if not liberal. They've gone the way the Virgin's gone. You know, you can wear <laughs> yeah. what you like. Wear what you like. Uh, that's it. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We've still got a whole two more games to get through. But we do have a crap vert and charts and stuff. So please do stick around and we'll get through them. Okay, and we're back. Let's round out August. Let's get on with this. Two more games. Let's get through them. Graham, <laughs> you've got all the simulators this week. Mm, this is Arcade Flight Simulator. Tell us about it. So this one is um, actually from Codemasters this time. It was developed by Amazing Games. That's uh, Dennis Webb and Martin Webb. Well, that's the designers of it. That's the outrun Roadblasters people, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, this was two ninety nine, 41% though. Mm. It's neither arcade nor flight nor simulator with that kind of score. No. Nope. Um, weirdly, there's a manager credit on this. The manager is David Darling and, and Dennis Webb. So I don't know. It's a, I, I'm getting the feeling that Dennis Webb might have been a minder. <laughs> he would have changed um, his surname to Strong if he was. It was coded by Mike Clark. He did Super G-Man. Do you remember Super G-Man way back in episode 80-something, I think? It wasn't that. very good, was it? No, it wasn't. It was like kind of a moon buggy type game with a guy walking. Yeah, and also yeah. coded by Stu Regan. He's only done this. The graphics are by Nigel Fletcher. He did Ghost Hunters. Ghost Hunters. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Wasn't good, that. Wasn't Uh-oh. good at all. And the music, of course, of course, it's by the Codemaster Maestro himself, David 32nd Whitaker. <laughs> That's what his partner calls him. So this is classed as an overhead arcade action, arcade flight simulator. And it says in the blurb, in arcade flight simulator, you'll find yourself pitted against the cream of the airborne opposition through three different combat scenario. There's biplanes over Germany in 1918. We've gone biplanes again. World War II fighters over Pearl Harbor. Mm. What was that? That's World War II fighters over Pearl Harbor. Okay, I'm just going to let it go. Okay. Speaking, that's Pacific conflict, isn't it, really? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's not a place you'd want to set something. That's not a nice thing, is it? I don't know. And fast jets over East Africa in the 90s. Just, you know, because. (laughs) They couldn't think of a war then. We all remember that conflict. (laughs) Um, All require a different deployment of weapons technology and your dogfighting knowledge. I can tell you that the uh, jets in the 90s don't dogfight so much. You must win each battle by shooting down all the enemy planes. If you run out of ammo, land on a friendly runway and reload, just like you do in the real life. Mm-hmm. Just like the real thing, the aircraft can dive, climb, and bank. In- <laughs> you remember them. <laughs> <laughs> in the two-player game, you can choose your planes and war scenario. That's good. Destroy your opponent's aircraft in a frantic dogfight before he gets you. Frantic. Uh, this is controlled with your joystick. Uh, I know. Um, it says, in Arcade Flight Simulator, you'll find yourself pitted against the cream of the airborne opposition. Throw, we've already said that. Um, so it says your mission, should you choose to accept it. These are the words of the instructions. <sighs> Take off from the airstrip, search the skies for enemy bandits, and show them all the quick way to the ground. Um, okay. When the <laughs> enemy there. has no aircraft... It's down there. <laughs> Go down. When the enemy has no aircraft left, watch the on-screen enemy counter, land on your runway, and pick up a bomb. Take to the skies once more, locate the enemy base. Luckily, it has a bee on the roof and yeah. drop your bomb on it. There is more than one base on World Wars 2 and 3. Oh, God, it's World War 3 in simulator. Did that, did that happen the, in the 90s? Well, that's the African one, isn't it? Because obviously this is 1989, so 1990s is in the future to them. Yeah, freaky, freaky, freaky. So the weird stirring music from Dave Whitaker will welcome you to this really odd game. A busy title screen with some medium res aeroplanes, a blocky sort of text title thing at the top. And some options that add spectrum conversion written all over them. Yeah. Uh, one or two to select the kind of opponent, human versus cyborg, essentially. Mm-hmm. So the game starts and the main game window is at the top of the screen. It's a top-down view of what in the first level looks like um, sort of a, a country park with uh, like a golf course on it um, <laughs> and a cricket club. It, it, like, it looks like our local cricket club with the world's largest piano on the left. Yeah. Um, which was strange. The, you'll see a minute, tiny little white plane on the runway where it's take off and there's, there's airplanes already buzzing about. Some of the shading on the buildings is confusing and wrong um, <laughs> because there's dithered shading in the wrong place at the wrong angle and it makes no sense whatsoever. So there's, no. clearly this Where's is on the a world with 10 suns. There's 10 suns on this world and the, <laughs> none of the trees are shaded in the same direction as anything else. Not, it doesn't make any visual sense whatsoever, but it is top-down view, so at least you know that there's buildings and stuff. So, And everything's the same height, essentially. Yeah. And below that is your UI, which consists of your an ammo indication with little bullets, the number of enemies you've yet to shoot. There's your score there and your bonus, currently how much bonus you have. There's a fuel gauge. There's a, a peculiar kind of, I think it's an altometer, which says alt, which shows, shows you how high, a visual indication of how high you are, even though you can see that anyway by looking at how high you are. And then there's a number of planes you have remaining. You start off with three. And obviously, if you get shot or you bump into something or crash, you're going to lose a life, aren't you? Makes sense, really. Mm-hmm. So you'll pull back to take off in this game. 
You push forward to dive left and right, rotate you around. Not my favorite kind of controls, that. Doesn't play unlike the aeroplane parts in the old Atari 2600 game combat, actually, really, with a bit more graphics in it, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take yeah. off and then zoom around the skies, dogfighting the enemies that fly around. The graphics are very basic, single-color airplane sprites, pretty limited background details, really. Sort of some basic tree shapes, I suppose. Like I said, they're all kind of the same height. A few buildings are dotted about, nondescript, and you won't know what they are. There is like an area where it says fuel, which if you are starting to get low on fuel, which you will very quickly, you have to sort of fly low and you can refuel yourself and then sort of zoom off again. And then you've got obviously, you've got, you've got to do the similar thing if you run out of bullets. And then obviously, as, you, as, as I've said, there's a number of enemies that fly around in sort of spin around in annoying signals. They're erratic flyers, I tell you. They don't fly in formation. They just fly any old loop-de-loop-de-loop. Yep. Yes, they so do. So they've gone for the most erratic war dogfighting ever. Like, no, they fly in formation right now. Everybody scramble. <laughs> fly around like they, they learned they're from wasp school. Like, how do we? How can we attack this base? I don't know. Fly around like wasps. Like, <laughs> like wasps are in a bin at, at Alton Towers. So, you know, trying to swap them away. Get out, get out, get out. Try not to be stung, man. Um, all pretty basic stuff. It's all on one screen. So when you uh, so it does scroll a little bit, doesn't it? I can't remember if it scrolls. I think it, uh, it scrolls does scroll a little, left little, to right. Yeah, yeah. But it scrolls left to right a little way, uh, some ways. And then, but if you go off the top and bottom, you come back on the top. So if you go off the bottom, you come at the top, and it's kind of loops, which is a bit unnerving when it does that. Yeah. I think I'd have preferred it if it just bounced you back into the game. So yeah. it's sort of you know, if you went to the side, it just turns you around and you go back the other way. I mean, that would might have made you crash, but I prefer that to that fly off the bottom and come at the top because it makes no sense then whatsoever. I mean, the, it's bad enough with the perspective that you're at, let alone scrambling your brains by saying, by flying off to the left and reappearing on the right, like some kind of trans transmutation. How did he do that? God, that biplane's got some kind of crazy you know, technology on it. What's he doing? Uh-huh. Anyway, um, so you fly around, shoot at stuff. That's kind of the game. That's it. That's what you do. You know, there's not a lot more to it than that. You've got limited ammo, limited fuel. You need to keep an eye on that as you buzz around. All runs out pretty quickly, so you've got to be on your toes. Like I said, you can refuel if you want to. Other than that, you're just chasing planes around, shooting them, then you get your bomb, you've got to drop the bomb and then carry on and carry on and carry on. So it goes. It's, is it fun? Uh, I suppose you passable fun, maybe, for a minute or two, <laughs> no. but it's pretty boring. Very limited what you can do. And th- there are other faster planes you get to as well as you progress, and it actually becomes more impossible. So by the time you're flying a jet plane around, I defy anyone to be able to play it because it's just stupid. I mean, it's bad enough that they're zipping about doing loop-de-loops as bloody biplanes. It just doesn't play out with much fun. And the bit over, I feel like the bit that's over Pearl Harbor is it's in bad taste because mm. Pearl Harbor is a place where really horrible things happened. And it wasn't yeah. a, that wasn't where the war played out over Pearl Harbor. You know, Pearl Harbor was where the Japanese bombed and killed lots and lots of American yeah, uh, navy, naval, naval staff, and, and yeah. People. I mean, why wouldn't you have the Battle of Britain or something? Or yeah, why not to make it a battle? You know, or there's that many battles that occurred over the Pacific. Why does it have to? It does, the one that wasn't a battle was Pearl Harbor. That was a that was a bombing, a, a suicidal <laughs> bombing campaign by the Japanese. Horrific. So I don't yeah. get the and, and it's just because it's you know I'll well, put it and put it in Pearl Harbor. You can put ships in the pair, but you didn't need to do any of that. It's just it's pretty lame. There's an arcade sentiment to it, but not a good one. No, it it looks like an old, a really old arcade, but there probably wasn't an arcade that was like this. Maybe there wasn't, but it just doesn't play very well. Maybe this fun in two player mode. I doubt it. It's three quid. Eh, still a lot for what it is. It just looks like a very basic game for 1989. Back in 1985, that might have been the business, you know. But and maybe that arcade formula back then might have done something. But it's not in 1985, is it? It was also released on the Amstrad and the Spectrum, and none of them are great. Oddly, the C64 is actually the best of a bad bunch. It's not saying a lot. I didn't think much to this at all. I didn't have any fun playing it. I zipped around the skies a little bit. Targeting anything's potluck, really. And it's just a matter of just zipping about, shooting until you eventually either kill the enemies or you crash. There's not much more to it than that. And because of that, it's just another dull. And it's not simulating anything. Stop putting the word simulator on. It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) 
It's just, yeah. you know, I don't know what you, they could have just, it's just, it's just fancy combat and it's not very good combat either. It's not fancy. It's just a better version of combat. I, t- I would have rather played the Atari one. At least it was honest about being basic. What did you think? Yeah, no, that's what I thought. No. Yeah. What is this? No. Bland left to right flying over a looping landscape with single colour biplanes. And is this week, is it biplane week? Did someone not tell me? This is two biplanes. Yes, two yes, it's been Annoying enemies, annoying controls, boring gameplay. As a shooter, it's weak. As some kind of bi-directional scroller, it's boring. Yeah, the controls are simple, but they're, like you said, they're, just, they're not, I don't know, they didn't work properly. The aim is obvious, but it's bland and boring. There's not a lot to say, so God knows why it has a simulator tag on it. It's, what, who, what is this simulating? <laughs> there must be some, at some point, somebody must have gone to him. Why do you keep putting simulator on the end of anything? What are you simulating? Who, why, this is not simulating anything. Budget ass, as far as I'm concerned. No, I didn't like this. I thought it was just, there's way better things than this. Go get Iridium if you want a left to right bi-directional scroller to shoot stuff. You know, or the multitude of other versions of that that have been released. But probably better than this. Nah, I didn't like it. 41% generous. Um, there are better yeah, games to be had. We played Heavy Metal Paradroid the other week for three quid. Yeah, we did, yeah. You know? Goodness, yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 don't bother with this. There we go. It's Arcade Flight Simulator. Yeah, no, don't do it. No. no. Let's move on. our last game of august and this game is well it's to run of the month it's an infamous platformer infamous platformer that is rick dangerous this is rick dangerous from firebird but more importantly or more interestingly this is the first game we've seen from core design and mm. core design interesting it's an apt thing that this game is the first we've seen um, from them and it's about an adventurer going on a globe trotting adventure and delving deep into caves and finding treasure sound That's familiar great. Mm. obviously something core design will revisit to pretty big success in a few years with tomb raider i do believe yes absolutely um i know it's not the same people who worked on it but the actual core core concept of sort of taking an indiana jones style adventure and putting them in an adventure where you go around the world and dig up treasure and running around stuff well it's tomb raider isn't it um anyway this is another time in a different game it's not tomb raider it's rick dangerous it was, I believe this originally this was on the Amiga, but it could have been all re-released at, any, at the same time, probably. I mm. think it's just a, a multi-release. But this port, I think the original design, though, is on the uh, Amiga because this port was designed by Terry Lloyd, Simon Phipps, Rob Toon, and Bob Churchill, who I think are the, they, they're the Amiga guys. So the design yeah. is down to them. The C64 version was coded by Stuart Gregg. Graphics by Simon Phipps and Terry Lloyd, and the music is by David Pridmore. There we go. There's a story here, and I'll qu- quote direct. From the manual. The adventure starts here. Will Rick Dangerous, intrepid superhero and part-time stamp collector, survive his first mission in the Aztec Temple of the Tribe? That's what it says and doesn't make any sense. No. (laughs) (laughs) Should he do so, Rick will face new hazards in the Egyptian tomb and the enemy fortress. Mm. That's it. That's your story. So the game starts quite simply. It's got uh, Rick, our hero, Rick, in a, in a, in a, it's got like in a roll of film on the title screen and the name of the game at the top, along with the familiar core design and Firebird logos at the bottom, uh, and a pretty unremarkable tune playing. It's not great. It's just a tune. It's not, not offensive, but it's not particularly great. There's not much else to do here, so a press of the fire button gets us going. And... This is where some of the nice stuff starts. We get the first intro to the first level, and in the reel of film where we saw Rick, we see it's like cuts to a little cutscene of him, and he's parachuting into the jungles of South America in 1945, and then he's chased by somebody off screen. It's quite cool. I quite like it. You got a, there's a bit of text telling mm. us that Rick has crash landed among the tribe of the Gulus. Gulus. 
Gulus, um, who he was searching for and must escape from them. Basically, he's searching for this lost tribe. He's crash landed into the middle of them. They're going to kill him and he's got to escape. That's kind of it. It's of its time. All right. You know, it is adventure going this thing and it's 1989, whatever. But it's, it's, but the presentation here is nice. It's a nice way of setting the scene and actually has a suitable piece of music along with it. that starts things, starts the ball rolling. See what I did there? Quite well. Very good. Um, this music continues into the game. And what we have here is a scrolling, it's a weird, it's a kind of, it's a scrolling platformer that is broken down into various screens across each level. So essentially it scrolls for a bit, you, you then, but then it'll stop and then you'll move on to the next level and that's where you get a checkpoint. So straight away the game sets out its stall because as soon as you move to the right, you are chased by a boulder immediately. You will die straight away. This game sets its stall out. You won't be expecting it. You'll die. And you've got to navigate a series of drops and turns to avoid it. Not only that, you think you've ran away from it. You go so to the right, you drop, you run off to the left, you think you're fine. But then right at the bottom, there's a tribesman who will kill you immediately as soon as you land if you don't jump immediately upon landing back the way you've been sort of back away and that you know it's harsh i lost my first three lives within about 10 seconds <laughs> it was game off yeah. and i was like right okay it's that kind of game is it so you've got to run drop run drop and then be holding bounce the good thing about this is that the controls are snappy and i'll come to them in a bit so if you once you land and you jump you'll learn you'll also learn something else here and that the traps in the game also kill the enemies as the boulder hits the tribesmen and kills them so it's actually teaching you something here that this game doesn't like you, but you the controls are snappy. You can get away from them. It is fair. You can everything's fair, and that you can utilize the traps themselves to kill the enemies. That's quite interesting, and that's quite you know you need to know that controls are simple enough. You've got left and right to run, um, up to jump or climb ladders. The up diagonals for jumping in those directions. You need to hold left and right as well to move. So you've got con- kind of control while you're in the air as well. You use down to duck or climb down and down diagonals to crawl in that direction. Should you hold fire, then you can press down to lay some dynamite. You can press up to fire your gun, um, and you've got six sticks of dynamite and six bullets, unless you find some more. Or you can you can press left or right to jab with your stick. And that's it. These are your weapons for the game, and you don't get any extra. You just have to make your way through these. You get them right from the beginning, and the, so it's this core idea that these are your tools. The game will never deviate from them, and you can make it through as long as you pay attention and you ask, you don't rush. So the tools you've got, the dynamite, I'll read from the manual to tell you what they do. Uh, the dynamite may be laid to trigger traps, blow away walls, enemies, and generally do some damage mm-hmm. to allow our hero to continue his quest. Also has the added feature of being very dangerous when lit, so you've got to get away from it as quickly as possible before it detonates, otherwise it'll kill you. The big stick may be used to jab. Um, there's a bit more to this because it actually freezes enemies in place for a moment. So you can jab them and then they'll stop, which allows you, if right. you can, to lay some dynamite and leg it and take them out that way if you've got no bullets left. The gun fires bullets. Uh, there will be a limit to the number of bullets this is holds. By killing a native, a bonus may be left behind, which when collected will replenish the supply. This means the player may have to go back and put himself yet again in danger. Use your ammunition wisely. Remember, the gun is often a trigger to activate a trap rather than to just kill the enemy. So you've got to figure out when to use this. Um, and that's it. Like I said, uh, you can replenish your ammo, but you do, don't do get anything new. Uh, as noted, the game is also full of traps and fiendish elements that are set to kill you and rob you of one of your lives. And again, this is what the manual has to say about traps. In avoiding traps, be resourceful like Rick. The traps are devious. You may need your stick, gun, or dynamite, or simply your wits to survive, depending on the nature of the trap. There are no instructions to how each trap is triggered or avoided, so be careful. Think ahead. 
things are not always what they seem. Mm. Okay. So the game takes place in the majority of the screen with your score, number of bullets, dynamite, and lives at the top. It's not much UI, and there's a lot of screen, uh, screen space to move around in. So the game is structured into discrete scrolling screens. What this means is that each level is made up, each level, so there's, there's four levels in the game, and each one is made up of 30 screens in total, according to the box. But these are split into scrolling sections. So like about, there might be like five sections, each with um, six, six screens worth of scrolling within them. And that's how it progresses. When you make it through one of these scrolling ones and you flick to the next screen, um, you'll hear a little ding. And that means should you die, you start back at the start of that section and not back at the entire start of the entire level. So you get some checkpoint in, but you have to make it through the entire scrolling section to get a checkpoint. As I said, there are four levels in all to make your way through, and these all have a suitable filmic intro to them. And after the first one, you make your way to Egypt and the pyramids, where you need to, uh, sorry, you make your way to Egypt and the pyramids, where you need to recover the Jewel of Ankel. The third level takes a darker turn, where you are tasked with rescuing some POWs from the notorious Spartanburg Castle in Germany. <laughs> Should you make it through this, then you learn that the Nazis are to launch an attack on London from their secret missile base, so you can head there to stop that. Succeed here, and you get the game over message, where you can learn that in space, the massed starships of the Barfian Empire are poised to invoid, uh, invade Earth. Weird. Why do games Weird. set in World War II always seem to include unexpected alien attacks? That Rocket Ranger did the same thing, didn't it? Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, weird, isn't it? So you can see that, you know, if you think... Jungle, Pyramid, World War Two, Nazis. They've clearly just watched, you know, Raids of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones films. And they've taken those sort of plots from them and they've gone for it. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, it's an Indiana Jones-inspired thing. We know that Lara Croft was originally a guy. It was an Indiana Jones-inspired thing. And so we can see that somewhere in core, there is a core idea that we need to make a decent Indiana Jones game. So the game is a torturous trek through these four levels where death awaits you at every turn. There are blind jumps, unexpected enemies, arrows and guns that fire from walls, blocks that will crush you, rocks that will kill you, spikes that will fall on your head, and so on and so on. This game is designed to thwart and punish you at every turn. But... And I think here's the important part. It is designed. There is thought mm. process design behind this. The enemies and traps are always the same and never random. You can trigger them the same way each time. And then this way, you'll start to make your way deeper into the levels as you learn the route through each one of them. You will die a lot, and this can breed frustration. But this is the type of game that will keep you coming back because you learn something new with each run. The graphics are really nice throughout, great backgrounds, well-drawn sprites, and a thematically consistent, chunky look to everything that I thought worked really well. As you progress, some of the pieces of music are really well done, and the fact that this is all in one load is even more impressive. Playing this, I was really reminded of the game Spelunky, from a few years back from Derek Yu in the way it looks and feels and the way it is usually the player's fault when they die from the same thing twice. Spelunky was obviously a sort of procedural roguelike, so it's not completely mm. the same, but the visual sort of iconography and the look of this felt very similar to that and the way that Spelunky would punish you for rushing. Um, it's that kind of game. You have to take your time, look at the screen, edge forward, drop off a platform, be ready yeah, for... Yeah. You've got to be ready. You can't just, you know, ask your way through this because you'll be dead in seconds. You've got to think. And Spelunky was the same kind of thing. This is a game that rewards patience, some mapping, and despite its reputation as a brutal game, this is a much more approachable game than something like Navy Moves or games which just throw millions of respawning enemies at you, I thought. Yeah. I think the score here is a little harsh. It only scored uh, 73%. I mm. think that's a little harsh. This is only 10% better than Navy Moves and worse than Cockatoni Wolf. Yeah. 
Shocking. There's no chance. I think this should have been in hiatus or even maybe a sizzler as the design in this is obvious and although you will curse some of the traps when they get you, you will keep playing, especially when you think of something like Robocop, games like that which you get in sizzlers and high scores and things like that. This is way better. Way better. You'll keep playing to get past them as the knowledge of each level and mastering it is a reward that games seldom offer at this time. If you think about we played that Baal and things like that other sort of Amiga games that we've had a look at, this one clearly has the people behind this were going, right, we're going to make this hard, no problem about it, but you can learn it. I thought this was really good. Realized I'd never actually played it before. Don't think I'd ever played Rick Dangerous. I think I might have played the second one, but not this one. This was another game I've managed to visit and see what all the fuss is about. You can see the design here, like I said, and even if it's different, people are going to make Tomb Raider, the basic elements of that game are certainly here to see. I thought this was a really good game. You can see why it's referenced a lot. Yeah, it is hard and it does have that reputation, but... I was making my way through it slowly, but getting further each time. And that's quite a drip feed of, mm. you know, uh, those, whatever it is in your brain, the dopamine in your brain sort of thing that it's like, yeah. you know, you know, you can make it further. If you just you take your time, don't rush, but you'll rush because you want to get back to the bit where you got to last time and then you'll die and you'll curse. And you'll, yeah, it's that, it's that kind of game. It's that good core loop. The game loop here is solid. And I really enjoyed this. And I think this should have been on retrospect, a higher score than 73%. That's what I yeah. thought. And a nice way, a tough way, but a good way to end off the month. What did you think? Yeah, I always like Rick Dangerous. Um, I remember I have actually played it a lot more on the Amiga than I ever did the C64. But that said, there's a great game in here. Nice arcade sentiment to it, actually. A good platform game. Nice sprite design, really detailed, a good theme, thematically all consistent. The graphics mm-hmm. get really good in the light levels as well. Yeah, they do. And uh, the music is really jolly, really nice presentation. It's just got it's got it's got it going on. Mm-hmm. It's a good, solid, you know, well made game. The collision is a little bit unforgiving here and there, but you know what? That's that's the challenge of the game. And you no, know, it doesn't bombard you with loads of stuff. So you just got to take a bit of care and think about what you're doing. It's not you know, there's some really fun parts. Running down the first bit when you're getting chased by the boulder is really good fun. Then starting to realize, you know, how you do, how you have to tactically use your bombs and your bullets and you know, things like that. And it's it's actually pretty good. I got right the way through the first um the first level, um, which mm-hmm. I was quite pleased with. You know, oh, um, took a while, but I got through that. Second one was just beat me, it was just too hard. But it was a game that you can go back and you didn't feel tortured by. Um there is perhaps a little bit of over-reliance on some of the leaps of faith um, in there, a little bit of that maybe, which yeah. is, you know, there's a little bit, maybe too much of that. Some instant death traps. There's, a, you know, fool's logic in there a little bit. And okay, it's not an over-reliance, but there's perhaps just a little bit more than it needed. But there's still other good stuff going on. You know, this game is obviously a memory test, really, or inherently a memory test. I mean, that's that's okay. That's, that's what it is. It, generally, those sort of games can play a bit unfair, especially with my memory, because it's crap. <laughs> But that said, you need a little bit of mapper's mentality to for this, or a good memory, but you also just need a little bit of tenacity. You've got to sort of, you know, this game does reward you if you stick at it, because, um, mm. you know, there are some really devious little bits and tricks, and you just got to edge your way around a bit and not just go leaping around, and you know, and it, it's quite good fun in that way. I don't know. There's a good game in there. I Maybe is it a tad expensive what it was? I don't know. Maybe on the C64 a bit. It was. I don't remember ever paying for it, so I don't suppose it's really a, a moot point for me. But either way, I completely agree with you around the zap scoring. For me, this would have been a early 90s type of score for the C64, just because the graphics and the sound and the presentation alone have often yep. held games that are you know, not even as good as this one. It's often held them up into the you know 80s. So for this to get 73 feels a bit punitive. And yes, the Amiga one is very good as well, but this has got really nice graphics on the C64 and it plays really well. You might never get to the end because it is really hard as it gets further in, but you also, it's the kind of game that has enough intrigue and enough variety and enough depth. There's a lot to, not that there's a lot of depth in the game, 
is a lot of game to get through. Um, mm. And in a similar way, you know, you've got to scoot around and get the stuff. I, I, I really like Dangerous. I think it's been given a bit of a, I think it's, I think it, over time it's been given, the lens has looked over it and it's kind of oh, been, been a bit overlooked as a, a game that's just too hard and too much to bother with. But put this side by side with Stormlord, it's just as good looking as Stormlord and it's not actually as difficult as that. So it really, should we not be holding this up as a bit more of a, you know, a game that has lots going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you've mm-hmm. got even, and then you've got all the back history with Core and everything else. So yeah, it's a, it's a good one to end on. Thank God. Because after those four, you know, dog turds, at least this one's <laughs> a lot better than any of them. Yeah. And it just shows you, uh, we keep saying it, you know, it, out of the five games we've played, one of them's good. That's about the average. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's the nature of the way that the C64 is going. The pool of games is reducing. So we're now finding more good ones. Prior to this, we might have played six or seven or eight games. And one <laughs> I only had be one good. good one. Yeah, one in eight, one in five seems a good exactly. A good ratio. So, but that's you know, and we know 20%. that there's a few more coming up. Exactly, it, that's a better statistic, and it's just unfortunate that we've got a, a few eggs in this basket. But you know, dog eggs. But at least there's Rick Dangerous come along, and I quite liked its its the thematics. I liked that Indiana Jones. It laid it laid into it. It didn't pretend to be anything else. I, what's not to like about that? It's good fun. So yeah, all good. Yeah. There we go. There we go. That's Rick Dangerous. That's a a good one to end on. Here we go. So what have we looked at uh, this week before we get into... uh, We've got one crap vote, so we're going to have a look at that in a moment. But we have looked at 3D Pool, which just... No, no, it didn't work. (laughs) Don't work. Don't work. Super Scramble Simulator... Overcomplicated. Silly controls that made the game that could have been something rubbish. Yeah. Deep strike. Just go back Silly to controls made the game that could have been something <laughs> rubbish. No, it was just rubbish. It's just rubbish. Arcade flight simulator. Crap. Just, just not very good. And finally, um, Rick Dangerous, which was yeah, very good. Best of the bunch. Best of the bunch by a country mile. Uh right, okay. What's this? Some kind of boxing game. I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it looked rubbish. There's there's too much going on in that. I don't know who's written that on the belt where it says the champ, but it looks like someone's carved it with a crayon. Yeah, it's just uh, its ethnicity is dubious on that. Everything about that shouts somebody. It's just all white guys boxing. Everything, even in the game, in the yeah. screenshots. Maybe maybe not in that top one, but it's just it's a little bit awkward. You know, a bit smiley and a bit. Now, all American superhero champ, and his fists are massive. No they are wins. massive, yeah. Um, it's just, I just didn't, I thought the, the layout's confused. It's all yeah, over the place. What's this skate oh of the God. art in the bottom? What is that? Is that the game? Is that a game? A crazy, a crazy game for all game. skateboard fans. Yeah. Out on Amiga. Okay. All right. Okay. Software. It's just a bit all over the shop, isn't it? Somebody decided they were just going to put everything in boxes. Oh, I'll put it all in boxes. What does <laughs> yeah. it matter? Put it in Absolutely. boxes. And then just have a purple bar down the right-hand side for no reason. I've seen that with the original Rocky theme tune for that as well. More than 1,300 frames of animation. That's way too many. That's a lot. <laughs> well, two play that many. A booklet with the history and rules of boxing and a key ring. Wow, okay. Hopefully the key ring is more. better than that belt. <laughs> that belt is dreadful. Uh, yeah, apparently uh, it says it's a smash gold medal in Germany. A great simulation. <laughs> it's a beaut. It's a real winner. <laughs> it's, it's a, a great simulation. <laughs> I just didn't like it. I don't like the fact that no. that, pu- that punch that punch is not right. What he's doing at the bottom. No, you don't. You can't punch him to the solar plexus, and that wouldn't be his reaction. <laughs> well, it, 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 he's punching him in the face over his arm, which I get, but he's just 
He's like that. Oh, you can't do well, that. He's backfisting back him as well. Which is, so he sort of he must have been he's slapping him. He's like backfisting him with his boxing gloves. Back, get back. Also, as well, he's got the most perfectly fine parted hair for a boxer in the middle of yeah. a fight. I can tell you what this guy learned to draw hairstyles, didn't he? Because look at that—they're all perfect hairstyles. <laughs> no, he, yeah. he, he clearly his job before this was he did all of the drawings that you get in the front of those barber shops. <laughs> you know, when you see the photographs, all the haircuts they do—that's and the shaves that they do. That's what he did. Who's this by anyway? Lionel. Lionel Products. And weirdly, if you notice, the guy who stood at the okay. top there with his—he's in his vest. He's just boxing in his vest. <laughs> He's gone, back to, he's gone to proper Queensbury rules as well there. Well, yeah. I mean, he's got his tape on his hands. You he, can see the tape there, but he hasn't got any gloves on. No, he's doing, he's doing the ball. I think, I think that's the ball, the, the fast speedball box thing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's meant to be vigorously punching the speedball, yeah, but it doesn't look like it. It's just frozen. No. He's got no. a serious chin there. They've all got very serious chins. They're very chiseled. <laughs> the face is very chiseled. You know, the guy can draw. He's studied, he's studied anatomy a little bit, but, you know, but obviously not actual boxing. No, but why wouldn't you just have that image as the full page image? And why does every character in the game look like Charles Bronson? And it's like it's just a Charles Bronson boxing game. <laughs> I don't want to box, but it's, it's look, look, it's just Bronsons. Even the referee looks like a mini Bronson. It's the it's Charles Bronson's boxing simulator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it the sequel to the Mechanic? The Charles. It is, yeah, it's, it's the champ. There is a boxing. Uh, there is a fi- bo- boxing movie called The Champ, isn't there? Where he's yeah, it's John famous. Boyd, isn't it? He's really sad. Yeah, sad. Yeah, John Boyd. There we go. There's just the one. There will be more. Let's go to some charts. Let's have some chart action. This is from Commodore User, as per normally. A new entry at number ten is Army Moves by Alternate from Alternative. Obviously, okay. a budget re-release. Budget. Uh, a new entry from Virgin, Silkworm. Okay. Okay, down to number eight from number five is Emily Hughes International Soccer. Down to number seven is SAS Combat, right. Codemasters. A new entry, a uh, new budget entry from Hit Squad, Daily Thompson's Decathlon at number six. The waggle is back. The waggle is back. Uh, up to number five is League Challenge from Atlantis. Mm, no idea. Good. Budget re-release of 1942 from Encore at number four. Okay. Postman Pat is at number three. New entry <laughs> at number me. three. <laughs> From Alternative. <laughs> That's hilarious. Have we seen that? No. No. No, 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 it's not reviewed in Zap. Um, down to number two is Robocop. Wow, okay. And I don't understand this. In at number Goodness. one, new entry, because it's a budget re-release, is Enduro Racer. Yeah, won't be there for long. The game that we called the worst game of that year, I think. Yeah, well, honestly, because it's you know, two quid, it's like, I don't know, people are mad or short memories or desperate. Um, how weird is it that we've got Robocop and... Postman Pat in the same chart. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. It is. Just those two being in the same charts. If Batman was in there as well, Rambo's in there somewhere, no doubt. I and mean, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> you would have thought Postman Pat was chatting. You know, that would be a pub quiz question, wouldn't it? In what chart would you find Postman Pat, <laughs> Robocop? <laughs> and and some Shanghai Warriors. At number 11, let's just do the rest. At number 11, new entry, Gauntlet 2, budget re-release. Mm, Roadrunners, budget. budget re-release at number 12. Arcade Flight Simulator in at number 13. Goodness me. Goodness me. Uh, Football Manager 2 is hanging around still up to number 14 from Addictive. Never leaves the chart. Rambo is in there, new entry from Hit Squad at number 15. Uh, mm-hmm. that Shanghai Warriors. Um, We've got that coming up, I think, haven't we? I point. think so. It's 16 from Players. Down to number 17 is Run the Gauntlet. Operation mm-hmm. Wolf. There's a new entry at number 18. I'm sure that's a re-entry, okay. surely. Super Cycles down to 19, and Speedball down to number 20. Okay. I don't, the charts are weird in this yeah. magazine. They're weird. They are what they are. Yeah, what they are, I suppose. 
Uh, what have we got next week? Over the next couple of weeks, we move into September. We've got Blue Thunder. Mm. I think that's an old budget re-release. I'm yeah, not expecting not good things. Good. Um, no. We won't be looking at Curse of the Azure Bonds. That's back into the strategy section. Nor will we be looking at Daily Thompson's Decathlon, the budget re-release. No uh, Demons Winter. We may be looking at that. Dominator. Okay. Yeah, we'll probably be looking at that. Probably that. Gemini Wings. Okay, God knows what that's going to be God. like. Hostages. Oh, I don't remember that being very good. I don't wrong. remember this either. Inner Space. Oh, do you reckon that's oh, based? Do you reckon we're going to get to play a digital Dennis Quaid? <laughs> digital Dennis? I don't know. It could Digi be. Digi Dennis. be some sort of about the right time, isn't it? It is. Uh, Laser Squad. I think. Is that a, where's I that we on? We didn't play that one. We've done Laser Squad. Have we? We may have done. License to Kill is here, so we're going to get to play that. Okay. The, okay. the Bond game. We're going to get to be James Bond for a bit. Uh, Rainbow Islands. So we're going to look at that. Okay. That's good. I think there's one missing here because I'm pretty sure. Let me see if it's still here. Rainbow Islands. Yeah, we've got that. Uh, Rally Cross Simulator. It's yeah, going to be okay. bloody Codemasters in it. Yep. Uh, well, it's in the budget. It's in the budget section because it's next to Rambo. Oh, yeah. Same page as Rambo. Uh, Red Heat. Oh gosh. Running Man. Oh no. So we've got. I think I've all put these together. I think I put License to Kill, Running Man, and Red Heat all together for a movie triple bill. <laughs> Ooh. Um, uh, what else we got? Tom and Jerry has finally made its way in as well. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <sighs> Some good ones in there, maybe. It'd be interesting to see what Dominator. I just remember Dominator being all right. You reckon? I vaguely remember it. And I vaguely remember Hostages, but I think more on the Amiga. I'm starting to get more in the games I recognize for the Amiga than I did the C64 now. I'm heading in that direction now. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's getting a bit like, what the hell are these? There is, yeah. there is one missing, actually, that's not on there that we are looking at as well, and that's a New Zealand story. Okay, how come that's not in there? May have come in release? late. Maybe come in, may have come in late, I guess, before after this one was released. Yeah, okay. Maybe but, um, in this magazine, is it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, issue 53, yeah, September. Definitely in there, so we've got that one to look forward to as well. I don't know why it's not, not in there. So we've actually got 12 games to look at next week, next one. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, Red Heat, Running Man, License to Kill, Triple Bill. Gosh. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be exciting or not. Uh, I've also got Inner Space that week as well. So, um, okay. Yeah. I could have done Blue Thunder and Tom and Jerry for an entire movie linked um, <laughs> episode if I really wanted to, but I haven't done that. Anyway, yeah. So that's what we've got coming up for September. Um, I know New Zealand Story and Rainbow Islands are quite thingy. Didn't thingy do Rainbow Islands? Wasn't that a Braybrook thing? I don't know. We'll have to find out when we when we go and look at it. I thought it was. I think so I think Graphgold did the uh, did the conversion. I could be wrong, but yeah, it's definitely what, Graphgold. Rainbow Islands. Yeah, well, maybe not. I think he did the Amiga version. Because oh, okay. uh, definitely developed by Graphgold. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, so it could be some interesting stuff there. We never know. We never know what these things are going to be like, but who knows? Do you remember anything about those re- Red Heat or Running Man? No, nothing. I don't remember being top half of his body through Red Heat, but that's all I remember. <laughs> Just couldn't be able to animate his legs. I don't think it'll be. It's not going to be a very good. I remember there being a good loading screen to it, but it had a really weird version of Annie's face. Um, so, but we'll have to see. So, I think Belushian um, Schwarzenegger's his face looks really weird on the on the loading screen. As I That's remember it, but vague memories. Well, well, I look forward to seeing that. I remember pu- punching somebody in a sauna in that game, as I recall. Oh dear, yeah. is that a euphemism? Uh, no, no. Actually, this is what you do, but it could be. It could, could be. very it's well a, be. These are strange times. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So that was August. That was the month that was August 1989. Obviously, probably Citadel and Rick Dangerous are the two standouts, I think. Yeah, by miles, yeah. Top yeah. and bottom, yeah. Top and bottom. Um, I think that's about it then. We've got anything else you want to add for August? No, I'm glad to see that we're getting, you know, an uptick in the uh, good games. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the percentage of games that are good, it is going yeah. up. The, the formula is changing, but yeah, 
just I think they need to stop releasing. You know, they've gone budget crazy now. It's the, it's the sort of last desperate acts of these some of these nightmarish publishing houses. You know, the weird relationships there are between Gremlin and US Gold and all these others, where they're all starting to just publish anything. Yeah, anything that they can publish now, and it's getting a bit sad and desperate. It's not the way you want the 64 to go out. Obviously, we all know that it's now heading towards its twilight in terms of the games at the time and the magazine's life, lifetime. Mm. But there's still life in there. There's still Citadel proved that by miles. Yeah, they still you know with the right in the right hands. Rick Dangerous proves it. The game, the, the machine is capable of good stuff if you do take your time with it. But far too many simulator games coming out for my liking, and, and I never realised actually until we did this podcast how many of those are bloody awful. And it turns out pretty much all of them. Yeah, I think so. BMX Simulator and that Grand Prix one are probably the only two we've liked. No, no. I mean, they're, you know, the next big thing for Gremlin really is on the Amiga, isn't it? That's where it starts to lift for them now. So the C64 is kind of, they're sort of seeing it off, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, there we go. That's it. That's August done. We've only got four months left before we'll be looking at what will be the best game of the year. Uh, I'm wondering what that will be, but I have a sneaking suspicion unless something comes in that. Oh well, yeah, there's going to be Project really Firestart is going to be in there. I think in, in that list, though, for sure. I think so. Probably. What's going to win Homer's Doorbell Award? That's the going to be the <laughs> tricky one. What's Homer's Doorbell Award again? That's the annoying sound. That's the that's the annoying music. The annoying music award is we, we've now called the Homer's Doorbell Award. <laughs> Deep Strike is in there for that mishmash of. I mean, it had that music, but it's once you get once you get with the sound effects, it's like a nightmare. It is, but it, it's not terrible music. There's there's way worse than that. Way worse. There is, but it's the it's the combo. Yeah, no, I get it, but it's way worse than that. We've you know, that's that's annoying, but it's not as annoying as some of the things we've come across. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Um, I think we need to finish. As ever, I have been Adrian Mills, and I have been Graham Raddings, and you have been listening to Zap to the Past. We will see you again next week, where we will kick off with September nineteen eighty nine. So. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.